You don't think this is a very good plan, do you? So there is a plan. I got the impression we were risking millions of dollars and hundreds of lives on a game of luck. What else can you surmise, Mr. Bond? About you, Miss Lynn? Well, your beauty's a problem. You worry you won't be taken seriously. Which one can say of any attractive woman with half a brain? Now, I'd have normally gone with only child, but, um... You see, by the way you ignored the quip about your parents, I'm gonna have to go with orphan. By the cut of your suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally think human beings dressed like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money. And your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity. Hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. Since MI6 looks for maladjusted young men, I give little thought to sacrificing others in order to protect queen and country. You know, former SAS types with easy smiles and expensive watches. Now, having just met you, I wouldn't go as far as calling you a cold-hearted bastard. Yeah, of course not. But it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine. You think of women as disposable pleasures rather than meaningful pursuits. So as charming as you are, Mr. Bond, I will be keeping my eye on our government's money and off your perfectly formed hearts. You noticed. Even accountants have imagination. How was your lamb? Skewered. One sympathizes. Do you expect me to talk? episode 32 of The Wondrous Do You Expect Us To Talk? I'm your host Rebecca and with me always are the amazing Chris and Dave. Say hi. Good evening folks. Hello. So you notice we took a bit of a break and we counted down our 007 favourite episodes. We are back finally discussing Casino Royale. No not that one, the Daniel Craig version. Oh shit, hang on I've watched the wrong film, fuck. Uh, I watched watch Climax. <laughs> climax. And after that, I watched the, the Climax version of um, Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. I think Climax means something, means something different in the 50s to how it does now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, we are talking about the Daniel Craig version. Yes, probably... I think spoiler alert for this episode, but probably one of the best Bond films in our humble opinions, I think. I think I would not be surprised if it ends up being the best of our lifetime, full stop. Majesties was made before any of us were born. Um, uh, there's not been a better Bond film in my lifetime, and I don't expect this to be um, matched anytime soon. It is pretty pretty magnificent, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh but Becky, uh, do you want to introduce the? Uh, you, you have rattled down the old cast list, have you? Um, no, not all of it. <laughs> <That's about laughs> well, you got as got far as Daniel Craig, <laughs> and I think I said that to be fair. So we'll shut up, Becca. Tell us about Casino Royale. <laughs> I didn't actually write anything else in my introduction. That was it. <laughs> all right. Well, it stars some other people too. <laughs> it does it's written by a person and directed but See, by I a saved person. your bacon there because I was clued in and ready. Okay, well, from memory, uh, we've got Jeffrey Wright, you've got 
Caterina Mourinho, can't pronounce her name, Mads Mikkelsen, um, Eva Green, uh, I think, yeah, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis. Yeah. Directed by Martin Campbell, and released in 2006. There we are. Done it. Yes! Fantastical! Yeah. Uh, so, um, Dave, what So, what? What of your, of, apart from like, being pretty fucking great, uh, what, what general thoughts have you got going in? Uh, well, general thoughts, I suppose before we actually get to what we think of the film, I ought to sort of just finish off the story of how we ended up here. Um, it's much, much shorter than, than the whole sort of Thunderball story and Never Say Never Again. But it is linked to all of those things. Uh, Casino Royale was the first book. And very soon after writing it, Ian Fleming sold it to or sold the rights to CBS uh, for their Climax TV show. Uh, for $1,000, which even allowing for the fact that uh, inflation will render any amount of money worthless over time, that does sound incredibly cheap. Uh, it was an hour-long teleplay with a few dip with an American Jimmy Bond. Uh, Mathis and Vesper sort of combined into Valerie Mathis, one character. Uh, and then uh, later in the 50s, he sold the rights for 6000 to, and the gentleman's name escapes me, but it basically ended up at Columbia Pictures uh, under Charles K. Feldman. Around the same time as Longitude 78 West was being uh, written independently, which led to all the Kevin McClory stuff we've talked about before. Um, and there it, there it laid. It, uh, Kevin McClory did a deal with the producers and Thunderball got made. They couldn't do a similar deal with Charles Feldman and we ended up with the 1967 spoof. What you then had in the years that followed is it co-owned by United Artists and Sony. Well, Sony had no desire to make co- co-make it with the producers of the, the official series, the United Artists. That did them no good. But they didn't own the whole rights to sort of make it by themselves. Fast forward to just post Never Say Never Again. Uh, <laughs> Kevin McClory immediately announces plans for a sequel called Spectre. Um <gasps> <laughs> not that spectre oh, uh, but it never came to anything four years later you're going to see a pattern here four years later he announces Warhead 8 uh, and that never gets made and in 1992 he announces 26 one hour episodes of his James Bond television show never got made fast forward to around the time Tomorrow Never Dies is being made uh, Kevin McClory finally pitches up with Sony, manages to convince them that he has the rights to make this series of films. So he he now pitches up at Sony. Sony announced a series of films. They are in talks with Liam Neeson to star in it. And it goes into pre-production. Eon Injunct. And this is where the story starts heading towards its conclusion. Kevin McClory and Sony uh, counter-sue. They counter-sue, and this is the first time they mention that Kevin McClory now believes he has the right to the cinematic James Bond, that the Thunderball uh, script and the bits that went into it were that changed the character from the dour, introverted book version to the sort of charming secret agent we know from the screen version. That pushed it to a head, frankly, because when it went to court... The judge uh, preliminary, uh, preliminarily uh, ruled in Eon's um, well, favour. But clearly, Exhibit A, Goldfinger. Exhibit A, <laughs> Goldfinger, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, but Goldfinger's made afterwards, and also 
Um, he, he believed Richard Maybaum had seen his Thunderball script. But anyway, the fact remains they, they ruled against the uh, ruled in Eon's favour, said that he, he had no such right. Um, they, that was finally confirmed two years later in 1999. And one of the things in the final judgment was, or actually it was settled out of court, but the preliminary judgment said that he had the 1963 case, he had cases in the 70s and early 80s, and at no point then did he claim ownership of the cinematic character James Bond. So to suddenly come out with it in the late 90s, they found incredible to say the least. Uh, they settled out of court, MGM and Sony. MGM uh, tied up uh, Never Say Never Again just to bolster their case that they own all cinematic versions of the character. They paid Sony $5 million for the rights to Casino Royale. And in return, I think it was... I can't remember which way around it was. One was 5 and one was 10, but they sold the rights to um, Spider-Man because MGM were going to make that with James Cameron in the early 90s. So now, in the year 2000, we own, the E.ON own Casino Royale. We've then got the point where Die Another Day is made, and frankly, if anything was going to speed it being made, it was that pile of shit. It made <laughs> so, a lot of money, though. Um, it made a lot of money, though. It did. When you watch the special features to this film, Barb Broccoli's interviewed, and she says more than once at that on there and on the commentary that her and... Michael G. Wilson were, and the word she uses, frustrated uh, by the direction of the series. It had gone too fantastical, and she said that it was at the end of another cycle. And I think she's alluding to that cycle of bloat and purge we've discussed many times. Yeah. Alongside that, Purvis and Wade were developing a Jinx script for the Halle Berry spin-off, and reportedly that version of the script was, or their script for Jinx was nothing like Die Another Day. It was a much smaller, much more personal story. And it really whetted their appetite for a, for a film more of that type. And Michael, G- Michael G. Wilson said to um, Barbara, why don't we just make Casino Royale? And from that moment, it was set in stone. They decided, as it's the first book, it needed to be an origin story, and that really put the end to Pierce Brosnan's tenure. And in 2004, he was let go. Lots of nasty stuff in the room, in rumors and stuff in the papers saying that it was, you know, he was asking for too much money and so on. The fact is, he wasn't right for the story they wanted to tell. The first name off Barbara Broccoli's lips when they talked about a new casting was Daniel Craig, but they did, however, scour the globe. Um, they asked um, Martin Campbell to return. Uh, they had done many times over the years, but this time he said yes, and they scoured the globe and tested, I believe, or saw or spoke to over 200 actors. Uh, A month before Craig was announced, we were down to five. And I've always known that three of of those five were Daniel Craig, Goran Viznich, and Henry Cavill. I found out the names of the other two today. Uh, The fourth was Sam Worthington. No. Yep, Sam Worthington was in the final five, screen tested for this role. Full day of filming. And the final name was a guy called Alex O'Loughlin. Um, Never heard of him. Well, I believe he's in the Hawaii Five O television show. <laughs> okay. Um, but I've never seen that. But is he American? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It was just a name, and I didn't know the name. Okay. And to be honest with you, the two serious candidates were Henry Cavill. Were Henry Cavill, and yeah. and again, it did sort of back up some of what I said in the past about. Um, 
Martin Campbell was the one who kept Henry Cavill in the frame and under consideration right to the end. And they were the final two. But Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, both of the opinion that, yes, he's a new double O, but he should be a veteran agent. Michael G. Wilson, around the time of The Living Daylights, had done a treatment for a a 22-year-old Bond and said it was wrong. He he wasn't right for the character. It was too much like James Bond Jr. Yes. Uh, Yes, I think so. And and not only that, there is some emotional and and, and some physical mileage on the man, and there always should be. So he's a veteran agent, but a newly minted double O. Mm -hmm. Um, But Barbara Broccoli's first name to mind was Daniel Craig. He was always the favourite, and he was cast in October 1995. Hooray! And the rest is history. Yes, folks. For a more elongated version of what Dave's just told you, go and watch the Everything or Nothing documentary. It's it's really fascinating. It's it's also about 20 pages or so at the end of the Battle for Bond book. Yes, by by Robert Sellers. Um, Highly recommend it. There's also like the little tidbit of uh, Tarantino wanted to do Casino Royale as well. With but with Pierce Brosnan, yeah, and 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 he was pretty pissed because he basically sort of went off on a huff and going like, well, they kind of like stole my idea. They kind of said that, that I offered them, uh, I suggested my idea, and he said no, thank you. And then he went and made Casino Royale, and it's like, um, I've heard, fuck? I've heard, hold him on a minute, <laughs> argue, I've heard him argue. I think it might have been on Jonathan Ross a few years ago. Yeah, that he actually, I saw him say that the producers of Bond had claimed. Uh, Casino Royale to be unfilmable and that it was only when he talked about it for a bit and he wanted to set it in the 50s with Uma Thurman as Vesper and set with Pierce Brosnan after the death of Tracy it went as far as Pierce Brosnan tells a story about going to a penthouse bar with um, Tarantino and getting extraordinarily drunk talking about these things I find that difficult to believe i mean i believe the piss up and i believe that tarantino believes he's telling the truth but i think there's a world of difference between between saying something's unfilmable and saying it's not a film yeah and i think casino royale the book is clearly well and i don't just mean because it's a book but in story it's not a film you have to take the essence of it and do other things with it there's nothing about that film that's unfilmable there's nothing about the story that's not filmable They've just, they have changed some details, and we'll get to them as we talk through the film. One of the biggest things in order to make it um, uh, palatable to an audience is they use Texas Hold'em instead of Baccarat. Because yeah, it's most more, it's people more commonly have, played, isn't it? It's more commonly played, and whilst there's not a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there who've never played poker, it's just one of those things you, you can pick up quite quickly. Yeah, and it also updates you know, for, for today. Obviously, this film, because you know, we're 10 years old now. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, it, it brings it for a modern audience, doesn't it? It does. A lot of people don't know what back is. I'm not a car player myself. You know, I don't know any really car games. You know, other than maybe Snap or something. But uh... <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> That's how we can a set up a five-hour hot... game of Snap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how he's able to set up a top drop, a high-stakes top drop game. Shall we raise the stakes, Mister Bond? <clears throat> Buckaroo. <laughs> okay, we're into the final stretch now. It's hungry, hungry hippos. Right, get Barbara and Michael on the phone. We're going to make this movie. I just imagine Bond getting poisoned. And this sinister movie is <laughs> being kicked in while everyone else around the table is leaning forward and playing Operation. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Doesn't really make any difference, really. I was like, of oh, just like a form of, I don't know, poker or something. It's just I, I, I don't really understand it. So I just go, oh, okay. Oh, that's a good hand, is it? Okay, like, okay. I, I just believe what the film tells me to believe um, in regards to that. So for me, the differences between Baccarat and uh, is it Texan Holden? Yeah, yeah. Um, makes no scrap of difference to me whatsoever. Um, the, the purest in me would probably prefer Baccarat, but. Um, but I'll be honest, you you could tell me that the game the, they play the in that is background, and I'd be like, yeah. Their story is in the camera work, their faces, the music cues. Mm. Well, that's it, exactly. The, the card game is the MacGuffin. You know, it's 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 not it's not about where it's not about what they're playing. It's all about the drama between them and how you know the one-upmanship and almost like I don't know brinkmanship slash blinkmanship almost between uh, Bond and, and Le Chiffre. So that's what's really at play here, rather than the card game itself. So. This was a risky film in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you, it's the last um, Fleming novel to be adapted, albeit it was the first Fleming novel. The book is not, it's not unfilmable, but it's not a film. Uh, you have to do things with it because basically the, the book is kind of the middle third plus a bit of, of the book, of the film, sorry. Yeah. And you've got, um, I think it's easy now to forget the storm there was around Daniel Craig's casting. Oh. Oh God, it, it, people hated it, didn't they? There was that Craig Not Bond website and people yeah. were raiding it because he was blonde. You just think, oh, what the hell? Um, I, I do remember the day he was announced. It was October 2005. And he had just been filming The Invasion. And if you've oh, ever yeah. seen The Invasion, he's fairly slight in it. And he's also got, like, you know, that one of those curtains haircuts with a party in the back. <laughs> and he, get, he, he got taken down the Thames by the Royal Marines to wherever this press conference was being held. He didn't look the part at this point. No, he really oh, boy, didn't. Did he I, I remember that. Later. And it was one of the most awkward press conferences I've ever seen. Because Daniel Craig, in a one-on-one interview, can be quite witty, acerbic, good company, but he's not the right dynamic for a press full of people throwing questions at him. I also remember there was a, a journalist, a journalist, in inverted commas, was he from um, the sun or something? From, I think it was the sun. Oh, God. And her first question was something about who would be your ideal Bond girl, Kate Moss or Sienna Miller. Well, it was being rumoured at the time in the press, never proven either way, that he was having an affair with Sienna Miller. Um, and it, it was just mischief-making. And they came back to her a bit later in the interview, and she asked a very similar question. And when they were asking Daniel, you know, why he would like the role, he was like, why not? It, it wasn't the greatest of starts. I wouldn't say it put me on edge. I, I was like, well, let's wait and see. But it, no, I don't think many people will have watched that press conference and gone, this is a great choice. I'm trying to remember what I thought. I mean, I did, did find the whole, like, backlash. I think it was predominantly, like, a, just a certain group of people shouting very loudly rather than, like, a whole, like, uh, wash of, like, oh, my God, no, what? Him as Bond? Oh my god! Because for starters, a lot of people are going, oh, but he's blonde, and I'm like, uh, well, Roger Moore wasn't exactly dark haired, was he? Exactly. You know, uh, for start, you know, for starters, and it and it was just, it was just like, well, you know, give the guy, I'd have, underst- I'd have understood give the guy a chance. More. He's a good actor for starters. I mean, it, from height, pers- from a height perspective, admittedly, his predecessors were all very similar in height. 
But if you line up the previous five James Bonds, they're not exactly an identikit, are they? No. They all look different. They all look different. All different nationalities, you know. Yeah. So I, I didn't have a problem with that. But the, what, what made it worse was the press started joining in. And it was all like, it should have been Clive Owen, someone who was never in consideration. It should have been Clive Owen, why? Because he's done a couple of films. Because he wore a tux in the film. He wore a tux yeah. in that one film that he was in. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and don't be wrong, I, I like Clive Owen. Uh, but I've never, I don't, I, his voice sends me to sleep. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with him. But he's, I just can't, I, I can't. Actually, the, the thought of casting him, especially at that time, just seemed a bit lazy as well. A bit like, well, that's a bit obvious. Plus he was already into his 40s. You know, yeah. it was it, his time had come and gone. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, the, but I remember filming then got underway. And I seem to remember reading in the press, and I've seen it since in special features and stuff, reminders of this stuff. But I do remember at the time there was a rumour that he couldn't drive a car, so they had to get him an automatic. There was uh, rumours mocking him as a wimp because he had his teeth supposedly knocked out in a fight. I've, I've wondered that. Is, it, is that actually true? I think he had a cap, caps dislodged or something, but even so, these things happen. I mean, if, if you punch the hardest person in the world on the teeth, you might break them. It doesn't make them a wimp. Yeah. But, no. but the whole... If, and if and anything, the mirror were calling him James Bland, and the whole press in the lead-up to Casino Royale was astonishingly negative. And you had the, the typical insider bollocks, which you get with the Daily Mail to this day and other oh, such papers where it was an insider says this is nothing like a Bond film and da-da-da-da-da. And um, so at the point where this film came out, following, albeit a bad Bond film, but a very popular Bond, this could have backfired badly. Luckily enough, it didn't. Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, it's the first time the franchise has actually rebooted or kind of done like, right, we're going back to, you know, going back to an origin. And, you know, not like... Picking it up, and it's not just like, oh well, it's just you know the same character, but it's a completely different story. You don't need to see. You know, this is like no, but this is like right. Scrap everything to one for this is year one. This is like a brand new start. Like Bond begins. It's, it's basically yeah. I mean, it was like tagged that uh, at the time, and it was just yeah. like it. It was just like oh, okay. largely because it was released about eighteen months after Batman Begins. Yeah, we yeah. had the Bourne franchise, didn't you? We had the Batman Begins kind of reboot as well. I think uh, it's so easy now, Becca, to, to to forget because we've had re- reboots galore. We have, yeah. It, that wasn't the case when this came out. You'd had Batman, and this was all very sort of brave. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was quite new, wasn't it? Especially for what well, was the longest-running movie franchise ever. And to kind of say, right, okay, this is we're now going to rewind everything, and this is going to be year zero. Yeah. This was, I mean, yeah, as you're saying, like in the last five years, you've had reboot after reboot with Bond. You, you know, it was unheard of at the time. I, I always thought at the time it was a good idea, but I, but obviously, I'd been a Bond fan, I was like very keen on on seeing it. Um, so, but the risk was they have to get it right. They have to like give us a good Bond film to kick off with, because mm. if we don't, this could pretty much end the franchise. Because, what a better like, place to start than Casino Royale, really? You know, start with the first book, as it were. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but they had a, like a good story essentially to go off on. So, um, yeah, I, I was kind of excited. I was kind of excited to see the new. But the word I heard at the time, I think Dave alluded to, to what the press was like, and I think it was quite common in the reviews. If anyone had anything negative to say, was like, it's. You know, it was like it was really good, but it just doesn't feel like a bomb film. And I think I had that feeling when I walked out initially. Um, 
I've warmed up to that a lot more because I just find it like just engrossing and watchable as ever. You know, like if it it's it's one of those films where you know it's on whatever day of the week. Like it's late at night, you're flipping your channel, you you find Casino Royale. No matter what point you you turn it on at, you you are there. You're like hooked on it. You know, yeah, you're it, gonna watch it, aren't you? Pretty it's, much. It's very hard to drag you away. It's like because it is that engrossing and it's that enjoyable that you just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm staying to the end of this. You know, it, 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 and that's to me that is a mark of a great film that is well told. Um, it's that is when it's a films like that when it gets you in that way, especially um, as well, and also like at other time I think because it was the um, it was like over well just short of um two and a half hours like before Spectre came along. This is like the longest. Longest Bond movie. It's a, and like, it, think... it's a minute longer than on a Majesty. It's I think a minute longer than Our Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, definitely. So, I yeah. think it's kind of a film that long. It's kind of it always kind of puts me off. You think, oh my god, it's going to be saggy, but no part of it sags. It's just you know, bang, 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 bang. It's really quick. Mm. It just you know, it moves along really quickly. Yeah, the only negative thing I could possibly ever say, and I think I think a lot of people said this at the time as well, was the the ending did feel like a bit kind of tag, tagged on like it sort of jazzed up just to give it an all action ending which I understand she, she took an overdose in the book yeah so yeah uh, yeah a little bit it's like departure there from the end of the book but um but I, I I understand the reason why they they did that and personally speaking as as a fan of the films I I'd want to see like a, like a, a, a set piece to end, end on rather than like oh fan service I think wasn't it I I I didn't have I've never had a problem with it and I think a lot of the problem the, a lot of the reason I don't have a problem with it we'll get to when we get through the film it it's saved by two performances mm. that scene I mean Eva Green in the in, in the in that elevator drowning is extraordinary oh, and Daniel Craig right afterwards is really extraordinary it's, it's really well I mean it is thing is like it doesn't bother me that much because it's it it's just on principle and it's and I suppose, in, in terms of action set pieces, it's probably like the weakest one as well. But then again, that's not to say it's shit because it's not. It's just, <clears throat> it's just like the, the lesser of the one thing. I do, the one thing that's always led me to defend it a little bit is that I have a problem in general with build, build, build to the biggest action scene and done. When we get to Marvel, you'll see it. Even a film I really like, like Guardians of the Galaxy, I check out in the last 20 minutes, oh, here we are firing up at the sky again. I, I'm quite happy that the biggest bits of action aren't necessarily the last bits because it, it, it feels less formulaic. And you can argue about the scene, to be honest with you. We needed her death to be uh, portrayed somehow. We needed Bond to be there to be affected by it somehow, and it's not cinematic to come in and find her dead in the bath or whatever. Mm. No, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind way. of happy with it. I mm. really am. The fit, the scene that we will get we get into the film um, sequentially. Um, <laughs> I, what sold me on this film and, and astonished me: black and white, cold open, uh, no gun barrel at the original start, but we cut. We get Daniel Craig sat very quietly and menacingly in a, in a section chief's office, head of section chief of, uh, for Vienna, and it keeps cutting to this bathroom scene, which is the first kill, because the double O is, is two zeros, two kills, you need to get your double O. And the way he moves and the brutality they're throwing each other around with, you just metaphorically, you know, figuratively sit up and take notice immediately, because... 
possibly Lazenby aside, I can't see another Bond film in that sequence. No, it's quite brutal, isn't it? That fight. I mean, well, I suppose we'll discuss it now, but it's just one of the most brutal scenes in the film it's just, and in the series as well. You can, you really, you know, there's a line where he, where he goes, oh, you made him feel it. Did, made you, made you feel it, didn't he? And it made us feel it, you know, watching it as well. So. Yeah, because he's genuinely shaken. He's, he's, he's difficult to kill, this guy. If you, if you piece it together with the um, deleted scenes, he actually says, not a cricket fan, are you? Because that, that's taking place in Lahore, Pakistan, at a cricket match. Mm. But you don't need it. You no. don't need it. Just Craig sat there and the little exchange they're having and him saying he will have sent a double O. You've got no, your foul shows, no kills, you need two. Mm-hmm. The moment he says that, he realises he's the second kill. That's it, yep. Game's up. And it's magnificent, this scene. It's one of the best pre-titles in the entire series with very little action in it. I, I, I feel this would... I mean, I get the feeling that this was probably like his uh, great... Like, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong, but it, it has the feel of a screen test. And then, and then not in a negative way. It's just like... It's the idea... Like, if, if they were to screen test for a future Bond, it feels like a scene they would use to kind of like, oh, let's see how you do. You know? Because, like, before we had the one in Majesties with... Tracy, and uh, I, I just imagine that that'll be up there with one of them, one of the, one of the ch- things that they might do to try out with like a new actor in the role. There's a stillness to him, yeah. and, and even though it's not in colour, his eyes are very piercing, even in black and white. And still at that point in the film, it's meant to be very early on, he's still quite assured in his performance as well, isn't he? You got the uh, two sequences, when it's, one's like really rough, rugged, that fight scene in the toilet, and it's just like brutal. And know, it's very like, grainy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you got the one in the office where it's slick, and you know, the, and and the way like he just just shoot just shoots the guy. It's just like the second and the second is, and he just just flats up shoots him. He says, "Yep," you know, clicks the gun about about safety off considerably, as if he's like he's not even thought. He's a, he doesn't even finish his sentence, does yeah. he? You needn't worry. The second is much, and he's clearly going to say yeah. easier. He shoots us, yes, considerably. Considerably. <laughs> and then whilst I would, and then we, we've got a gun barrel of types. Yeah, it's kind of like a fake gun barrel, it, I suppose. It's, it's better than any of the gun barrels that are followed from Craig because the way he spins, if you look at, say, the Pushkin assassination in The Living Daylights, that always reminds me of it. Yeah. Loose, loose cotton jacket, like really swift turn. And we cut into a, a very different yet familiar credit sequence because it looks like nothing we've seen before but it's unmistakably a Bond opening sequence as much as I, I do love Danny Kleinman's work this is probably my favourite of anything that he's done for the Bond series I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the hentai tentacle porn when we discuss Spectre <laughs> <but it's>, <laughs> which is the weirdest thing I've seen him, ever seen him do yeah. this is probably my favourite he means that we're actually going to review some tentacle porn before we get on to Spectre <laughs> <laughs> we've already reviewed Spectre once we've got to pass out the running we've got to do it again <laughs> But no, yeah, this is probably my favourite. I mean, least of all because, well, one of my fun facts coming up later on is that there's no nude, nude ladies in this title sequence. But um, well, that's you do you get Eva that Green. A fun fact. <laughs> you do get no, not very get, fun, is it? You do get Eva Green uh, as a in the face of the cards. No, she's not naked though. She's not naked. Oh, yeah, true. Sorry, no, I, 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 I missed the naked part. You probably but no, lack, lack of nude ladies anyway. But no, it's my undoubtedly it, it's the prettiest of all the series, and I just yeah, it looks completely different, and it tells like the whole Bond story as well. Um, it's finely crafted. I just, I was amazing. It's, it's even better on the big screen. This is probably my favourite um, Danny Kleinman title sequence. I'd go along with that. I think now because Goldeneye is starting to date, Skyfall's the only one I'd put anywhere near it. Mm, I, don't, I, I like it. I mean, but it's it's very dour. It's very grim. It's quite depressing. 
Yeah. Well, Sky Force I mean, one. There's not enough laughs in it for you. No, it's just I mean, bit... it could be the, the choice of song as well. I think that always helps it. I mean, what's, what's really great about um, the Casino Royale is the it it has surprisingly great theme tune. Yeah, what, what, uh, what did you guys think of it on release? Because like, when, when I first on heard release, it... On release, I was like, mm, okay. Like, to be honest, I'd never heard of him. Um, that was really embarrassing, I know. But um, obviously, I've, I've since discovered discovered his work, and he's like my all-time favorite musicians. But um, and I, was, I think a while ago on the internet, there was like an acoustic version of it released, and I was like, oh, this sounds quite good. But yeah, when it first came out, I, I was like, what? And then it took a, it was a real grower, but it took quite a time. I had Soundgarden albums, and so I got what the I got what the intention was straight away. Yeah. And, and David Arnold has since said, and I've heard him say it. The song is meant to say, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Yeah, exactly. As soon That's as I heard about. Chris Cornell for a Bond theme, you think, right, what? they're going to have him really fucking hard in this. Mm. They're going to they're gonna go, they're going to merge literary and action in that they're going to go dour and grittier, but have him, like, quite tough, to say the least. With, with and the, the song, songs, that, the, the choice of singer out. showed me that. Yeah, definitely. It's like Chris Cornell was the right choice for this film. Yeah, 100%. It was just surprising because I was like, really? That's a bit of a no choice. And then I, when I actually heard the song, I wasn't like, well, I didn't think, oh, that was terrible. But I wasn't like, well, that, okay, that's new Bond, that's new Bond song. But <clears> it just grew on me. It just like, and it's just like, I, I, now to the point where it's one of my favourites, I absolutely love it. Um, I, 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 I think it's right up there, one of the best. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm really, and I still, I'm still surprised to say that because it is just basically just a crunchy rock song, rock song, which is <laughs> which is not something that you would necessarily think of when you go go to a bumpy. Normally, kind of a lot more like swingy or classy. I'm not or sure. Big I'm not sure brassy, it's appropriate you know? for a film that's centered around a game of buckaroo. Give <laughs> <laughs> <We'll> snap. <laughs> yeah. Give <laughs> snap, Mr. Bond. I, I just uh, the lyrics as well, you know. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, the lyrics, about, the lyrics you know, are incredible. You might think I've got feelings for you, but you know, you're just the next, and this this next whole shut off kind of aspect to him, that which is what the story's about. Bond opens his heart once, you know, and gets screwed, it broken and, and closes it over again. And uh, this film. This film shows you it all the way through. I think it's perfect. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love it. But, um, together with the rich visuals. Yeah. Perfection. It's, it's right, yeah. It, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I love pretty much everything, most most of the things about this film. So I'm just going to go, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, oh, it, it's also, it also reinforces what you've just seen because you've just seen Daniel Craig have a very gritty one-on-one fight in a, in a toilet, basically. <laughs> and they've used sort of motion capture to, to have that sort of built into the credits as well mm, where he's done. cutting through people and there's just an efficiency to the way he moves mm. so if you weren't convinced by the pre-title you come out of the credits going yeah he looks the part he moves the part and we've got nothing to worry about here yeah no exactly because yeah at the end of the title sequence you get you know state, double O status confirmed oh, so it's pretty much you know this is Bond I, I heard one of the original ideas was the, for the title scene was actually like his 007 ID card being like made or something like that was kind of like oh, yeah. a play with okay. that or, or, you know, or something along those lines. But Action thinking, lamination. Yes, <laughs> But uh, yeah, obviously went with the old card motif as well. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's it you know, it, it's definitely something different as well. We've not seen uh, pre-title scenes that is like this. As well. No, it's unique, isn't it? Yeah, and, definitely. And, and, yeah, it's just 
you see him in a suit, you see him moving well, and you just know you're going to be okay. And we come out, and, and the other thing about the last thing about the song is the first time I heard it, I saw it with its video. And I think we're, the scene we're about to get to is there's shots in that video, like where he's in the embassy and you see him from behind walking into rooms and straight onto people. Yeah. And it's just like, my God, this guy's good at hand to hand, you know, fighting filmically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the only thing, the only thing as we come out of the credits is um, what shirt did they decide to put him in? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's the only kind of dodgy fashion well, moment that he makes. We actually we open in um, with uh, the chief being introduced. Ah, you're to... right. First rain in a bond se- in the bond series. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And... Filmed in England somewhere, meant to be um, Uganda. Mm. Yeah, it's probably the, the um, it's probably Black Park or something. It like, is isn't Black it? Park. Yeah. Um, they were gonna film. I forget where they say the Czech Republic, but they couldn't find enough. Um, they couldn't find enough of people of the right racial background to, to, to make that. So they did it in England. And, um, yeah, first time we see Rain and we're introduced to Le Chiffre. Yeah, and Mr. White as well. And Mr. Mr. White, yes. Yeah, and he's introducing him to some sort of, like, uh, is he, uh, like, he's not a dictator, but he's kind of one of them kind of arsehole. He's quite sort of high yeah. up, isn't he? Mercenary, yeah. whatever. But they, they, yeah, basically they, they introduce Le Chiffre as... A financier, really, so uh, who understands odds and will um, multiply your money for you. Well, in, in the book, he's meant to be obviously, you know, he's a mathematical genius and he's always on about the odds and things like that. So, I think he's, I, I do love Mads Mikkelsen in this role, he's just supremely creepy. He's I, very just, slimy I, I watch just, it now, now we've had the four Craig films, and just think, well, I wouldn't want to compromise this film, but wouldn't he be awesome as Blofeld? Oh my god! <laughs> you know, it's just like you, you, you've blown your wad too early in the um, Craig era, really. No, that's it. But well, he's, he's that, that would have been obviously post Hannibal as well. So mm. I wonder, you know, you've got that kind of loaded into the mix. To be honest, I see, mm. I see him better as uh, a chief. To be honest with you, mm. uh, I, I, I just suits the the role for me a little bit more. I mean, I, I, I don't be wrong. I would like to see him uh, as a blowfell type character. That would have been cool, but uh, it, especially in a modern interpretation of him, but. You know, here I think he, he he's great. He has a a sense of creepiness, confidence, but he has a definite underlying of vulnerability to him as well. You know, he's basically up shit's creep because he you know he's just lost loads of money and now he's trying to regain that again. Um, and obviously, I like little subtlety of Mister White just like looking at him, just sort of going, "Yeah, I'm I vouch for you, but I'm pretty sure." <laughs> Like, <laughs> but if you lose, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're going to fuck up on you. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's um, it, exactly. So all, all through this film, like Bond, this is probably the most human we've seen Bond in a long time. Um, but also, this is kind of one of the more with them as Wilkerson. He's probably one of the more like human villains, if that makes sense as well. You know, he's, he, as, he, as you're saying, you do feel like there's a vulnerability to him. Obviously, he's got the disability of the deformed tear duct. Mm. He's asthmatic, and he's just. You're I mean, saying, oh crap! He, you know, <laughs> he's sharp. He's calm. He's like, you know, he's he's mysterious. But you know, there are like levels of like panic and unsure, you know, uncertainty about him. You know, when when times do get rough, it's like, you know, it's not, you know, the, the plot's quite clever. It doesn't always just go one way. You know, it, no, it, it does. Like, you know, turns. it's like 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 the bit like in the middle of the film where Bond effectively does kind of save his ass. 
Like, yeah. you know, and ends up like fighting them Ugandans themselves. Is it Ugandans? Sorry. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, do I, do I have things that like, I just think are really kind of like clever and like, and he's a fully rounded character uh, as, you know, for a villain. It's not just like, mm, I'm really... evil. You know, not like last week where we have like Mr. Sneary, Sneary, Sneerison. <laughs> <laughs> And if you if you hire someone with that name, they're bound to. What can you <laughs> expect? Be sneery, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really great, and oh. uh, but it's only a little bit of a tease of the characters. We've just seen him. We've seen this other guy who turns out to be Mister White later on, mm. and then we cut to Madagascar, shot actually in the Bahamas, but we've got the Madagascar sequence, which is Bond's first mission as a double O, and the first introduction to parkour free running in the series as well. Yeah, which is hot back then. It was hot. It was a new hot thing the kids were all into. So. Yeah, I I think this is a just a fantastic. Which is really good because it would sequence. be it would be an Angry Birds action sequence now. They don't. <laughs> don't, don't don't give them ideas, Dave. And laser don't. scooters. <laughs> but it's an amazing chase scene, isn't it? It's a really brutal chase scene as well, and it's quite it's, it's got none of like, and Bond crashes into walls and falls over and injures himself and. I said this when we appeared on. We appeared on. I think it was episode five of Pick a Flick. I don't know if you, those listening, you can go back and find it where we talked about the Daniel Craig era, and I said that this film is one of the best I've ever seen for characterization through action. We are told so much about Bond here. He's not the Pierce Brosnan incarnation, which everything he touches, he's the world's greatest at. There's no re- relatability in that. They, the writers were very keen to say that you're not supposed to think you can just be him but you at least understand his decisions and and what he's doing and in an alternate world you you might be and he's not as good as Sebastian Foucault at parkour quite obviously yeah but he finds ways to make it work so he will go through things and under things and over things to try and cut his route he, he and just try and have, slow this guy down he just has different methods it's like okay fine you do that I'll do this. And it's just, it's like, he's more practical. He's, he's kind of like just thinking about shortcuts and like, and things he, that he can actually do. And while he's, well, he's, cause he's skilled and all that, he's doing all the flippy around stuff. So I mean, it's, it's like the perfect thing, like is, is when he does go through that small gap in the top of that wall. And, and Craig goes, hang on, that's just plywood. And he just runs through it. No, just yeah, through it. So it's, it's, you know, it, it's a good comic. I'll see you die well. another day. I know what they make their sets out of. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like little sort of things and like using like the, the, the crane to, to, to lift them up rather than climb, you know, and just things yeah, like and that. Yeah, and just, and everything as well. Yeah. Like Bond still gets there, but it's just through different And when he gets onto there. the top of the crane, he's fucked. He's knackered. You can see it. Yeah. He's in good shape, but he's not the natural athlete the, the free runner is. And and I think yeah I, I remember the time when my parents did go to see it and they came back and asked them what do you think and they were like yeah really really good and she was like he's a really fantastic Bond you could actually tell when he's fighting that you know like what like, I think they're referring to the bit, the bit when he's on top of the crane where he's like hanging off and it's like the yeah. wind's out like taken out of him it's like it's a struggle mm, yeah but you know like and it's gone through all the fight scenes where you know he has a fight and he comes back bleeding. You know, which you didn't get before, particularly in Brosnan. No. Yeah, and um, and you yeah, will continue to see it. As we go through the film, I'll point to it in certain scenes where he's still carrying the effects of different things. But um, so yeah, he ends up in the embassy, and as I say, this was one of the first. I think there was a set report from 
some film program. I cannot remember which it was. Might even have still been Jonathan Ross doing the film program. And they had a set report from when they were filming in that embassy. So the first footage I saw was him going into that room, knocking the gun out of one hand, knocking the other guy out, and just this no-nonsense fighting style we haven't just haven't seen. Not in this series, but it's not Bourne shaky cam at this stage. Mm. So as much as they say, well, there's a debt to Bourne, and I'm sure there is, I didn't feel like I was watching a Bourne knockoff. And eventually he just basically blows up the uh, embassy. Yeah, it's 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 just really I, I liked how like he's chased this guy down and then he just beats the shit out of him and but but still uses him as kind of like a thing to just like he's like he's carrying around like he's like he's like he's a bag or something and he yeah. uses him for like sort of throw against guards to kind of like stop him from so so he can like beat up the, the other guards so right next to him and he gets them late it's just like it's just a marvel to watch it's just like holy shit this guy can just kick ass and uh, and there's just. It, it's just whole kind of like, don't give a shit. And he, you know, when he when he finds out he's cornered and he's just like he shoves the, shoves the guy back, throws his gun, and then he just pick, he just like swiftly grabs his other gun, shoots the got the uh, shoots the uh, the bomber guy, and then shoot and then blows up the kind of getaway. It's just like, oh, that's just so fucking slick. That is so fucking badass. Um, and if you're not soulbound, then you're great by then. Then. Fuck, you are not easy to please. <laughs> and it's, it is one of the iconic action sequences yeah. of the entire series now, I would suggest. Yeah. The whole free running yeah, thing. And it represented a couple, of, a couple of pages of script. So much of that was made up by the technicians on the set. How can we bring this to life? What can we add? And it just shows you a crew invigorated by this new direction because so much of the action in Die Another Day was just lazy and done in a computer anyway. Mm. Yeah, really poor CGI, but here it's just all a lot of it's in camera. It moves swiftly along. It's just breathtaking. Yeah, and completely just, different. And just think, this is this is we, you know we've just really started the film. It's this is only about like the first fifteen minutes. Like we've yeah. had like a relatively short title scene, which was it was basically a brutal fight and a talk in an office, uh, and we get like a like a. And then, and then we get like a short like scene introducing the villains, and then this, which is like this what this big massive set piece, which quite frankly most films would probably close on. You know, this, you know, um, and it's it, it's you know it's just like what the fuck, wow, you know. Um, and, and much in much the way that we've talked about them going for the sort of thing of the day, right the way back to probably live and let die. This doesn't offend me. It's definitely of its time. Parkour was on all like the BBC idents around that time as well. Yeah. Um, well, but it, it's it so well integrated into the story and allows us to learn something about Craig's Bond. Yeah. That, yeah. That to this day, I'm really happy with it. Well, it doesn't bang you on the head with it too much, you know. It, it doesn't date the movie either. I mean, he, the the guy who's doing it, I, I he's just running. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian Foucault. Yeah. yeah. I, he's not. Yeah. You know, he's he's not doing anything that's like over fancy and dramatic he's just kind of like obviously someone who is skilled in that kind of thing and athletic yeah and and gymnastic yeah if you like yeah agile so it's you know it you know it doesn't it's not like in the rest of the film he's he's trying to fight off other you know parkourists you know it's parkourists to (laughs) parkourers but then after this i don't know 
They might have rebooted, but Bernard Lee is still a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I mean, I, look, I don't know. I mean, look, I think at the time I remember like, GGN's just still M. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, like, you know, to be honest, like, like, he's, part of you thinking, can, can you think of anyone better at the time? No, not really. All right, fine. Right, right here she is, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, it, 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 it yeah. works fine. You've got to have a little bit of continuity, haven't you, I think? Little things. If you, if, you go back, if you go and watch, like, her first appearance in Goldeneye versus her first appearance in this, feels like a very different character. Yeah. She's even dressed differently. She's got quite a low-cut top on in this. Yeah, she and it, she's very outfits, stern in Goldeneye. Um, certainly, there, there are no canon explanations for it. It has to be a different M because it's a different timeline. But at the same time, the only explanations we've ever had is in the Raymond Benson continuation novel, she was Barbara Maudsley uh, in the Brosnan era. And on the set of Skyfall, there were uh, various labellings for a character that referred to her as Olivia Mansfield. Now, I still think she's called Barbara, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not canon necessarily, but at the same time, it's indicative of it being a different character who just happens yeah. to be played th- by Judy Dench. I think she is on principle the same character in or, or very very similar yeah. like i think they you know they take it, it's almost like a rebooting of the character it's like the same same character but with so on, a, on a different timeline yeah and, and plus also it's like uh the, it's that character in different circumstances different mm-hmm. situation here like we're, we are first introduced to her and like literally she is fucking furious I like. I, I, she's I, not happy, is she? I think she even swears. I, yeah, I, I, I get. I get the impression she would like drops an f bomb or like. Uh, she does yeah. in Skyfall later on. She calls she them a bunch of ass, ass covering prigs at this stage. Yeah. Uh, Christ, I miss the Cold War. Yeah. She's been called to um, Parliament to explain why a foreign embassy's been shot up by MI6, which is a plot hole because there's no way they can know that's MI6. No. But okay, they they have. And well, no, well, they, no, they've identified that as Bond, who is an MI6 agent. So From what? That. The back picture of the back of his head? No, no, no. Yeah, how, how do they know? That was no, the one that went in the press. Uh, I, 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 I just it. assumed he got identified because obviously it was... I don't know. Okay. Anyway, she's been called to Parliament to explain it and she's furious because she it comes from an era someone... where they're not asked. Yeah. Just like, no. you, you know. Well, so, but... yeah, well, these days, these days it's more, it has to be more transparent, doesn't it? It's more kind of out in the open. Um, and that's something else we'll discuss Stop. when we get to Skyfall it's Inspector snow. as well. Yeah, starring up in Snowden. <laughs> But you would be like, like, oh yeah. But you would be if you were. You would be pissed off. It's like it's it's just a big hot mess, right? Dumped right in front of your lap. Be like, oh for fuck's sake, you know? It's like <laughs> what the f-, you know? And she's like kind of really pissed at him, going like, and oh, what the fuck yeah. was he th- even thinking? You know, <laughs> you know. Like in the good old days, he does a good, you know, he does good sense to the effect. You know, <laughs> like, exactly. She's like, crash the Mister Cold War. Well, of course, the very next thing he's broken into her apartment, uh, which is a very sort of mad men apartment. And it, he's yeah, it is a bit weird. She actually, she actually says it's the one inviolate law of international relations. You do yeah. you do not go into embassies because basically embassies are effectively sovereign land of that country. Yeah, sovereign soil. Um, yeah, and I, I, I love this. It's like extension of she, she is still royally pissed off, and she's like, I, it's it's that kind of line. It's like you know you better you know it's like I'm 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 you know. These considering bastards, feeding to you. Yeah, these bastards want your yeah. head and I've been seriously considering feeding to you. At this stage, she didn't even like him, let alone trust him. It, there is one parallel with um, Goldeneye there. 
I've no compunction about sending you to your death. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, that kind of, that's a nice echo to that film, I think. But it's, it's quite funny because he's portrayed as a bit of a dinosaur later in his run. But at this stage, he's Mr. Hot Tech. He's hacking into everyone's yeah, computers. He's, hacked in, he's got the SIM card from the phone that was in Malacca's backpack. And he's got a text from on that phone that says ellipsis. We'll find out what ellipsis is a bit later on. And he traces the origin and time of that call, of that text, to the Ocean Club in the Bahamas at a certain time and place. So he heads to the Bahamas. We do a little, yeah, do a little glow popping in this movie as well, don't we, I think? Yeah, I, I, I love, I think, I, I think what parallels with the M in, in this in terms of what... In terms of what happened with Goldeneye with the old Bond come back alive, I love how the like it's just it is more threatening this time. It's like, don't break into my apartment again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like after threatening to shoot him, but yeah, he does go to. Uh... But it, it's a change. But it's a change of um, philosophy in how yeah. these are made, though, Chris, because the whole thing with with Goldeneye and, and I always thought, although that was quite a nice line from Judy Dench delivered well, I thought it undermined the scene a little bit. Because she's hard as fuck and she doesn't give a shit if Bond dies or she doesn't want him to die. But it's part of her job that agents do die and so on. And she has to live with that. And then he walks out the door. And because it's Pierce Brosnan and every woman's got a fall fucking massively in love with him. She, she has to give it the quick, come back alive. And I just, <laughs> think, I just think that line wasn't necessary. And I think here they just play it as, no, this Bond isn't infallible. He's just made a huge mistake. The whole thing that is set up about Bond being Bond, the blunt instrument, no, exactly. which is a line from the book. Yeah. And also, not only is he a blunt instrument, but he is reckless, not seeing the big picture. And that comes back later on with Le Chiffre, when he's talking to Le Chiffre. At the moment, he deals with what's right in front of him, which in this case is a bomb maker. And that's not what MI6 are going after. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's... I, I, I don't think I don't think it's till like um, just earlier. I was trying to squeeze in a quick viewing of Quantum, um, Quantum of Solace. There, but I think it's the, the next film, or at least till the end of Casino Royale, that he he learns to kind of look at things, you know, in the bigger picture rather than what's right in front of him. And he kind of, you know, he he makes that arc. As, the conclusion you know, as of the arc is when he doesn't shoot Vesper's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. <laughs> I was really pleased with the different locations here, though, because we've got, obviously, a very long casino scene mm. coming up. Uh, nice to see him in a hot climate. Nice to see him in the Bahamas. Um, some of that filmed, some of what we've just seen in Madagascar was actually filmed there uh, on the set of the, some of the stuff where uh, Thunderball was shot. And it does feel kind of like Bond's home from home. Yeah, It does, yeah. I'd, I always like seeing like, the Bahamas in the Bond movie. I mean, it's, mm. I'd like to go there myself one day. That'd be pretty cool. Um yeah, it's kind of, as I say, it's home for home because you've got that kind of that part of the world, mm-hmm. and it's just like you're home at last. And the Ocean Club stuff's all really good. Yeah, I think. What do you guys think? I I really like it. It is vintage Bond for me because there's just a certain like like when he just rocks in wearing like a white polo shirt, he just he just kind of like snoops around. He, he fastens his shoes, kind of like just like oh, out on out on a whim. Some arsehole thinks he works there and, and acts like a prick to him, gives him his car keys, right, right, okay. And trashes it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, it, he's just so smooth and effortless. And like, Even when he's, like, questioning the receptionist about the, uh, the Aston Martin when he's figured out 
who it belongs to. That's how you do an Aston Martin nod. Yeah. Yeah, and, it really is. And it's just it's just great how he's just like he, you know, he's just blagging it, but he just And we see some charm. Done. It's not that the, the the receptionist has fallen wildly in love with him. Mm. She's just finding him very charming, very likable, and he is using the baby blues to get what he needs to find out. Yeah. Um and We've got this no-nonsense attitude. He just crashes the car for him and just chucks the keys yeah. away. Um, and then he's straight into some sort of closet to get find out who... Well, it was before the Aston Martin bit. But the way he goes about his business is very no-nonsense. And you can see parallels with Batman Begins, but you can also see parallels with the Dalton era. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the kind of bond I like, is no-nonsense. Like, do not mm. give a shit. Just get to it. Uh, and it's just like it's like watching a master at work. I think that's one of the joys about it. You know, we see we see someone just literally. Yeah, you I put mean, him I... in a hotel room. It's but like back in the Connery era. Yeah, and he knows exactly what he's meant to do as yeah. his first order of business. And it's like it's not quite like Boston, where he's just naturally just good and things just happen for him. You know, mm. all, all things don't whatever whatever's like convenient for the plot. Here, you actually see him actually working. Yeah. And actually using his brain and kind of like and just going with it and if and things, that's classic James if, Bond yeah if things go wrong they they go wrong but he he'll find a way to cover himself or just get out of there whatever you know it's you know it's it's just that kind of this is this is there's just a great joy in seeing that on screen you know, it's watching that happen I you know, I love it yeah I agree we go to the we go to a sort of a preliminary card game at the Ocean Club and. This was this is where I started getting sort of echoes of Connery. He sat down at he sat down at the table and he's playing cards against this Demetrios character who owns the um, Aston Martin and sent the ellipsis text. Mm. So he's clearly involved, and he's just he's just got this presence about him. I think that's Daniel Craig more than the character. He owns he's that just, table, doesn't he? Really? Owns that table. They've dressed him quite. They've dressed him down for it. And he just looks terrific. And there is an echo to the book as well, because in the book, I think buy-in is 25 million francs. And yes. they send him with 20. And and he's such a good car player, they said, you can make the other five yourself. And he goes, yeah. basically, just spend some time practicing, practicing, but also running his different gambling theories and all the rest of it to make that other five. And to get his eye in. And so basically, him at the Ocean Club isn't just about Demetrios. It's about him getting match fit. Yeah, test is like training pretty much, isn't he? He's not more on training, but yeah, just kind of preparation. And it's like a, a, a test run almost. Mm. He, he has to keep himself... I mean, he doesn't know about Casino Royale yet, but he's got... He, he keeps himself match fit in yeah. terms of his gambling is all I'm saying. Yeah. Sure. I think I guess you would need that, even though it is kind of like a joke that Bond's good at cards hold who knew that but yeah. in terms of the film you need to kind of establish that he is able to play because we I'm, I'm i'm being told that yet so it makes sense for you to have that kind of scene where he does play against someone you know it... and also the first you see of demetrios in that he's winning hands hmm. he, he walks into the bar he goes and gets himself a drink he buys it he stood right next to the guy whose, whose cars he crashed earlier and you cut to Demetrios, and he's very smugly pulling chips towards him. So he's playing quite an accomplished player there. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and absolutely and, cleans him out. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. 
<laughs> Cleans him out and then fucks his wife. <laughs> and then screws his missus. <laughs> yep, that's Bond, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is essentially what he does. <laughs> that, that is pretty Cleans him out, takes yeah. his car, well, fucks his wife. He doesn't just take his car and fuck his wife. He takes his car and uses it as the way to fuck his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then straight after that, he, he follows him and kills him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got Solange. Solange, the first uh, Bond girl. Uh, they don't go all the way, but uh, he picks her up from outside. Dimitrios, having lost, is like a bear with a sore head anyway. And Solange is clearly a disposable pleasure to her. I mean, they're married, but they're, she's left at the bar by herself and all the rest of it. And he basically picks her up in the Aston Martin. She's ready to jump in thinking it's Dimitrios. And he charms her back to her, to his suite gets a certain way with him. When he works out, Solange doesn't know very much, but he's off to Miami. Mm. He basically orders caviar for one and disappears. And again, for possibly the first or one of the few times in this film, that it, it, that's Ian Fleming's James Bond. That, that cold, dispassionate, all right, well, forget her, I've got to go do this. Yeah, no, exactly. That's where it all comes from, really, isn't it? Kind of like the whole idea of him being um, disposable, pretty much. He's like, right, no okay. chest wig. No, not, he doesn't need it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like pump turf information and now right, right on to the next thing. Be- Becca, I- I'm pretty certain that's probably your favourite line of dialogue of all time. <laughs> she says it constantly, doesn't she? Yes. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. I bet she comes in when Coronation Street's on and says to her mum, has, has anyone pumped anyone for information yet? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even watch it. <laughs> Do you not? No. Oh, God. Ken Barlow's permanent <laughs> pumping people for information. In the cabin. Oh dear. <laughs> no, I just think I just think oh, the whole line of dialogue is very cheesy. But um, yeah. anyway, moving on, moving on. Why don't we start talking? Okay, never. Mind. <laughs> so, so why are we talking about Coronation Street? What the fuck? Anyway, um, yeah. I, 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 I suddenly, I suddenly couldn't help but think about Ken Barlow's white ass yeah. going up there. <laughs> As a mental image, I'll struggle to forget. Oh, dear. Yeah. I cannot unsee, folks. I oh, know. Well, we we know. Um, Anne Kirkbride stunt doubled in The Spy Who Loved Me, so why not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> forgot about her. Well, that's a fun <laughs> fact. Uh, that's fun, folks! That's a fun fact. Uh, so they head off to, uh, he heads off to Miami following Demetrios, uh, and basically they're at the Body Worlds exhibition. Yeah, the Gunther von Hagen's. That was, that's kind of something very, like, zeitgeisty as well. It was, like, parkour. You've got Body Worlds, that was everywhere. Like, he had the documentary on Channel 4, um, he did a kind of the live dissections, didn't he? That was um, very bizarre, but very interesting. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, having killed Demetrios because he's been spotted, he then comes out and actually uh, contacts the number, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, again, this is like yeah, gives this, it a ring. This is Bond, also like like also what we've seen for him. Thinking. He's doing his job, isn't he? He's pretty and much like, doing his job. It's like, shit, where's it gone? Shit, yeah. he's gone, right. I'll, I'll what do go. I do? Oh, yeah. All right, we'll just see who picks up a phone when I do this. Yeah. And I mean, just... it could have been a wild coincidence, yeah. couldn't it? Good job he gets it right. Yeah, just follows this like person home. Yeah. It's <laughs> up the pizza. Next day, I'll bugger the wrong person. Yeah. They, head to, they head to an action sequence that when people, people who are critical of this film tend to be quite critical of this sequence it, it, they kind of check out during it find it a bit long don't like it i think it's great it's really interesting and plus you've got the richard branson cameo <laughs> randomly cut, <laughs> cut. 
cut from the version they showed on British Airways. Yeah, I wonder why that could be. How hmm. petty is that? Oh, ridiculous. Um, but we've got this whole sequence where basically one of the things you've seen at the start of the film where he meets the Ugandans, the chief gets on the phone and tells somebody unseen to put the money in a certain direction. They tell him that the stock price is going to go in the opposite direction. There's only one way it can go. And is that Tim Pickett Smith? He, yes, that's right. And he's told um, he's told that um, it's not Tim Pickett Smith. Tim no, Pickett it's not. Smith it's somebody the else. Next one. Uh, but it, it does look a bit like him. And he says to him, just do it. And what he's basically done is gone and bet against the share price for this new passenger jet that they're being released. And it's being rolled out for some press event to prototype run whatever and the whole point is he's bet again he's bet that the share price will go down because basically there's going to be a terrorist attack will affect the share price of that company so it's bond foiling that that leads in exactly that leads on to the casino royale game mm. because at that point he's a hundred million out of pocket yeah, he needs to make that money back, doesn't he? Uh, but it's a really good action sequence, and it's Bond on its own, making it up as he goes along. Yeah. yeah it's kind of the raw kind of elements of the Bond characters, you know, sort of coming to, coming to the fore, really. He thinks on his feet. Well, I mean, in a less good script, Becca, he would have called M or done whatever, and it would have been a linear progression. But no. because he's making it up on the spot as he goes along, as soon as he gets through to M, he hangs up on her. Yeah, yeah he's like, I'll call so, you back, Drew. I've got to go. <laughs> Yeah, after this, I know what I'm gonna do. After being put on hold as well, yeah. Like, yeah, that's what, yeah. Cause, yeah, um, I, I, I like how obviously we didn't really get to see Money Penny until until uh, Skyfall. We've got Villiers who, you know, does does the job. So yeah, he's yeah, he's basically he's, like Tanner really. Yeah, he's like Money Penny and Tanner rolled into one because we didn't see Tanner until next film. Yeah, until film. yeah, until Quantum. So. I, Which really um, surprised me. I couldn't. I totally forgot that he wasn't in Casino what, Royale. I was like, oh. What's really good about this, and I suppose it's kind of like the uh, the opening parkour one. Um, we we don't know much about this guy, uh, who, and we don't really need to. But he does. He is very formidable. You know, he's not like an idiot. He is. He comes onto Bond quick, and he. You know, he, he yeah, he puts up a good fight, doesn't he? I think. He, yeah, well, he out, he, you know, he, he sort of like he keeps putting on barriers for him to to overcome, and yeah. you know, he keeps making it increasingly difficult. You know, he is quite an engaging presence, even as, as I would say as well. He's yeah. not stupid. And ellipsis, ellipsis was the code to get through the security door. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that was all that time. It's interesting. It keeps you. Well, they feed you bits of information, mm. and it's quite an important payoff. So, so, so well plotted. Really well put together. And so. it's it's almost th- throw away. You, you know, in any other film, ellipsis would be this massive grand reveal at the end. No, it's not. It's just a co- code. It's just going to get Bond onto the next stage, and it's not going to win anything for him. He still has to figure out how to stop this. I mean, yeah. is it? Doesn't it amaze you that the people who wrote this wrote the last film? It's two completely different, utterly different movies, isn't it? It's incredible, isn't it? Although um, the mind boggles. Paul Haggis was brought in for a rewrite. I don't know who wrote what here, but yeah, this has got Purvis and Wade on it, um, and it, it's proof they can do it. Yeah. You know, um, take a few years off, have a break. Yeah, and there you are. A, but a different direction, a different direction yeah. entirely, well, and I think a very, to, very good another day, and there's only one direction you can go. <laughs> yeah, and again, the, the, watching this action sequence, that isn't the Daniel Craig that was like rail thin and, and uh, unveiled with floppy hair the previous October. 
This guy just looks the part phenomenally yeah. so. I don't think we have seen a Bond ever in this good shape, in physical shape. No, didn't, didn't he sort of gain like so many pounds of muscle for the role or something, especially? Well, quite evidently. I mean, you just put a him little a bit. Good, if you, you've only got to go and watch him a, a year or two later in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And, and he's rail yeah, thin again. again I mean, he? he just bulks up dramatically for these roles. I feel they need to watch that awful Tomb Raider movie. But, oh. he, he, doesn't, <laughs> but he doesn't look like Henry Cavill, where he, you can barely contain him in a suit. No. He's just very, very lean and, and very fit. And um, he's, he's, he's got kind of very much like a Tim Dalton aspect about him. Like he's, he could actually kill you. He's quite dangerous. Yeah. Tim Dalton would have to put his cigarette out first, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finish this and then I'll chase after you. And then have a smoke. Mm. Whereas Andrew Craig, you probably have a drink and then go after you. Yeah. But I mean, I, I love that. The bomb put on the back of the guy's trousers. And yeah, that's clever. On there, beaten up, his face all cut to pieces. As this guy just blows it's up. It's a bit like Zhao from Dynasty. Yeah. Well, but later, and we'll get to it in a minute, but when when we get to him meeting Vesper on the train, he's still got some cuts on his faces. On his faces? On his realism, face. Doesn't it, I think. And, yeah, you've you've never seen that before. It yeah. normally goes from scene to scene. And yeah. and I think you never actually you don't see it. It just focuses on his face. It just kind of zooms, it, zooms mm. in. You, 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 hear, you hear, hear, like, the explosion. And you just hear this fake little sort of like side grin, like, ha, fuck you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not even like, it's just fake, it's almost like slight, very subtle, but mm. it's just there. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. I, um, I, I love the whole, I love the whole uh, part of it. I liked um, his, even his reaction where he's just kind of like, we, we manages to stop the truck just before it hits. And he's there kind of just looking out going, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's just that kind well. of like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm possibly expected to the fact that he's just he's fucking knackered. <laughs> you know, he's like so he's like he pretty much falls out. So he's um, just made it more real world. Yeah. He doesn't jump out with perfect hair and a quip. Yeah. No, no, he he's doesn't. Actually, up a bit. It's very refreshing. I yeah. Uh, but again, I, 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 I like the play of the whole bomb thing because we don't realise it every time I watch it now. I go, oh, that's the bit he puts. He must have put it on. He must have he, he must have got it and put and put it on and attached it to him there. But, you, but when you watch it first time, you don't you don't know. You've it no isn't. idea. No, it you know which bit it is because he's about to jump out of the cab and yeah. you get Bond grabbing his belt. That's yeah. where he put it on. That's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It's always blinking. You miss it scene. You know, if you don't know it's there. You don't see it put on, but you can buy you can divine when it happened. And then we go back and we see M in the field. Love this sequence. And it, again, it's it's something about because Daniel Craig's not the tallest, but obviously uh, Judy Dench really isn't. And no, she's tiny. With, with what they dress him in, uh, you know, and he, he just looks so fit and bulky and scarred up as well. Scarred up as yeah. well. I mean, he just looks like nothing we've seen before in this series. And M is again chewing him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell! Yeah, yeah we've seen the, the body count. You know. Yeah, this whole like you know, I would remain. Uh, yeah, I would suggest you remain uh, emotionally detached, but that's not your problem, is it, Bond? <laughs> yeah, and the way he just answers, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Next week, yeah, we find unfortunately Solange is dead. Oh, very sad. Yeah, that's that's quite a brutal for twelve A, isn't it? Really? It is. Yeah, that's a bit grim. Just, yeah, facing Ooh. real close up with her eyes dead, and yeah, 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 like, yeah, Co- her eyes open, covered in like sand, and you know, you, you know, you don't really see it, but you can just imagine like there's like worms on maggots, just like. <laughs> I mean, that that caviar must have really not. Yeah. Agreed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. But we get the basically the plot outlined. We get we get uh, it's the the nine eleven allegory that people bet the short money against um, airlines in the wake of that people cleaned up, and that they believe it's the shift 
that is behind it. That's behind it all. They don't yeah. actually have any proof. I know there's a um, uh, is it how it should, there's an honest no not an honest is it an honest trailer no it's a how it should have ended out there. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Um, that suggests that well he's guilty. Why don't we go arrest him? It's quite clear in the dialogue. They don't know for certain. They believe it's him. It suits his mo. And also, he's just set up a topsy a, 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 mm. a poker game at Casino Royale in Montenegro, uh, where the amount of money that's likely to be won will clear that debt. So they can divine it's him, but they don't know for certain. Yeah, they're not hundred percent certain are they at that point. So yeah, so it is quite a big risk, isn't it? Because because yeah. doesn't even uh, Eva Green Vesper uh, Lynn even say like on the uh, it mentioned that when like oh we've... this goes wrong, our governments will have directly yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know on, on the sake of a whip, you know or something like along those lines. But yeah. he is the best Buckaroo player in the in the service, <laughs> and he's really steady-handed at operation. As he, well. Yeah, he can move all those organs without the alarm going off. Really. He, he's quite flexible, which helps with Twister. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but he's shit at guess who so you know oh, we've just got to minimise his losses during that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not so good at tiddlywinks tiddlywinks <laughs> oh, oh god so he's sent off to Montenegro the next thing you see is him on a train and Vespa Lind comes to sit with him this is one of my favourite scenes in the movie. They just they they figure each other out just like that. It's amazing. I'd only seen I'd only seen Eva Green in the Dreamers before I, this. When they cast her, I was like, I I almost like blushed because uh, I'd only ever seen her like copious amounts of nudity. She, <laughs> she, she does like to get her boobs out quite a lot, doesn't she? She yeah. does. Yeah, she was in the Dreamers, the Bertolucci film. And, yeah, it's all, like, nudity and threesomes. And that was the only thing I'd seen her in. And it was like, fucking hell, she's going to be in a Bond film. And, again, it started off the Daily Mail with, she'll be nude in it. No, she won't. Don't be so fucking stupid. Oh, uh, Vesper Lidge in the book is the assistant to the head of Station S, Mathis. Uh, Station S being the Soviet Union. Um, obviously, there's no Soviet Union now and no Soviet dimension to this. So Mathis just becomes... The contact. He's quite suspicious in himself because, like, Mathis pops up in a few of the continuation novels as well. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of like, like Felix, I would guess. You know, they're they're quite good friends, and he's kind of you know Bond's assistant on his various quests. Um, but I think here he's kind of he's quite sinister. I, I mean, don't think he is. I mean, I never, I, I never had that when I watched it. I thought he was very likable and very kind of like charming. Oh no, and, definitely. Um, but the fact, the fact that he's he's the only one. He's like, oh, you know, there is no we. It's just I. And he's kind of a little bit. Well, towards the end and of the he's film, clearing obstacles. Go. He's got, you know, oh, he's no, able definitely. to get the corrupt police chief arrested, mm. which is the Michael G. Wilson cameo in this film. Um, he's, he's he's just there to clear Bond's path, really, and and explain cards to us. But we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, he's basically kind of like the the mouthpiece for the audience. Okay, this is what this means. This is what that does. This is what a tell is. It's quite um, piss poor. This is how much actually. money he's lost. This film, how much money he's done, won. Yeah, that's not done well. No, that's like he's a kind of basically. I'm going to explain the plot to you now. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the British reporter in Spider-Man 3 at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, kick, you don't need it. But I'll, just, I'll just tell you what we just did. It's a minor wrinkle in a great that, that, That's The actress who plays that um, dies, doesn't um, She hung herself. Yeah. Oh, that's very sad. Yeah, she was about 28 or something. Yeah, oh, just... yeah, really sad. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, but on Spider-Man 3, I fucking hated that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That whole, like, I'm going to commentate on everything. It's like, oh, for fuck's yes. sake. Oh, 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 my God. Oh, oh no. Oh, it's quite oh, poorly done, really. Yeah, and, uh, and it's a bit like that. But Mathis as a character is really great, and and the town they meet in is lovely. Um, oh, no, yeah, no, it's, it's a brilliant character. I mean, Giancarlo Dini, I, kind of, I, I quite like him in the role. Mm. But I just like the same with Vesper as well. I mean, plot spoiler, in a book that's 50-plus years old, she turns out to be a double agent. And like here, you just kind of think, like, for me, Vesper, I think, apart from Tracy, she's, like, one of the only, maybe maybe Madeline, perhaps now, she's, like, one of the few women that Bond has really loved. And that really comes across in this film, I think. Yeah, even, even though at the end he's like all oh, the bitches he really loves her and the, and the difficulty yeah, he says, in the book as well in, in the book and it wouldn't work cinematically she starts sort of drifting away from him doesn't she yeah she does and she's got this depression that he can't crack through no. and, and this wonderful relationship they have is, is dying and he's helpless yeah you can't do you much know, about we, it we can't do that here but it, yeah she really gets to him I think that's why like I mean we're kind of getting ahead of ahead of ourselves, but like the scene like in the lift as well that's kind of like a the visual representation of that almost because like she she sacrifices herself, um, and later when we get to quantum you know matters like you know she she loved you she died for you blah, blah. so yeah I'd certainly think she's she's magnificent casting they they spark off each other extremely well she's on very the, striking so. as well she's like she's she's very like. She's, she's very, what Bond would go for. Yeah, she's very... Yeah, definitely. She's very attractive. She's got the beauty, she's got the brains. Yeah, she's know. very attractive, but not in like, oh, Denise Richards kind of thing way. You know, she's very like... She's stri- not a wet dream. She's striking she's looking. She's a person. She's striking looking. Yeah, she's, she's two-dimensional. Smart. She's like got a sharp tongue, you know. Um, well, that's got these downsides. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you just, know. Yeah, I mean, and, and he mentions, and again, the first reveal of our Bond girl... Normally, it would be like a Denise Richards dressed like Lara Croft or something. Yeah. But he points out she dressed kind of masculine. You know, she puts her hair up in not the most flattering way. Um, and they spar with each other. Craig is still carrying all the sort of, well, they've, they've sort of played with it a little bit in that it's been reduced. But he's still got cuts on his face. And apart from the clunking reference to Omega, it's fantastic, this sequence. I actually, to be honest with you, I, I'm going to defend that. I always... Like, a lot of people refer to the old watch, uh, sort of, uh, what, what, what you call it, what you just, uh, product placement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as, I, I, I think it's geniusly done. I generally think, like, yeah, okay, fine, it's product placement. You know, you're going to have it in any film. I think it, in this film, it is used fantastically well because it works in within the dialogue. It works, you know, it's... It, it yeah, makes, she's, she's it talking about sense. maladjusted young men with sharp suits and yeah, and and and, yeah. and 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 she says like, oh, Rolex is like kind of like a as a as a way to like prove a point. He says like Omega, but in a sense, well, yeah, you kind of have. She's like, yeah, very nice. Yeah, and it kind of you know, and and the whole I suppose the whole all oh, the very nice thing is kind of like oh, that's product placement, but in in context of the film, it means completely different else. You know? And again, and again, this is a journey for Bond. We're watching Bond formed, and this dialogue tells you he's an orphan. Yeah, it tells you he yeah. didn't come from money. We'll talk about that more when we get to Skyfall because I think they're a little bit internally inconsistent there. But mm. certainly at this point, he doesn't come from money. He doesn't come from sort of a knobby background. He's made it under with help and really hard work. He is, and I've always felt that Where, wears the suits with such disdain. It's this idea yeah. that. Bond was always when you go to the Roger Moore Pierce Brosnan era Bond is like a gentleman who happens to kill and I think actually the right way round is he's a killer trained to be a gentleman 
exactly. And I think Connery sort of gets it, and certainly Craig does, that, yes, he's in the suit, and he can do it, and he can look the part, and he, he might know his wine and his food and everything else. But he's not quite fully formed on that yet, and the fact is, the guy is a killer at this point. Yeah. He's still very much a blunt instrument, but he's kind of forming that, you know, mm. the bond identity that, that we know more kind of like he's more like a gentleman than more like, you know. Who, and, who and basically, well, Be- Becker, in line with the book, he's all like married women, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much is. I mean, it, you know, if you're listening to this and for some reason you haven't managed to read Casino Royale yet, go back, read it. Um, or don't go back and read it and then listen to us, but <laughs> go and read it if you can, because that, okay, that's, that's like the Bond blueprint, as it were. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much, it's, yeah, it's all about like married women, as it were. So, Well, yeah, it's, it says in this film as well, it's like, you know, don't worry, you're not my type. Well, uh, was it smart, independent, or whatever? It's like single. single. <laughs> and that's Ian Fleming's James Bond. Yeah. It's like I've said yeah, in many times, you want flavours of that Bond. He's still, you know, got to be charming and there's got to be a bit more there than in the books or different things accentuated. But that's quite brave. You know, most of us out most of us out there, I would think, or certainly a majority, don't cheat on our partners if we have them. So having a leading man who openly says, I'm not interested in fucking married women, could completely alienate us. It's quite brave script writing. It, it makes sense for him because... That's the point. You know, he is an agent. He's not out... He doesn't want a relationship, you know. Mm. So he likes to go for... Married for married women because they're not likely to get attacked. Yeah, because no, like exactly. because you know if you know, you know if he does charm it or well, when he does charm his way, they're only it's only ever likely going to be like a one like a, a fling. You know that's always ever interesting. Just getting his end away and be done like with the it. Nature of his job as well. I mean, he's hard, he's not going to be home very often, is it? You yeah, know, yeah. Wife, you know, it's like you wife's know, not going to see him. You know, he it, might as well. It's not going to work. <laughs> you know, you, you know, and also if you want to get no, like, a bit of emotional, practical. you don't want like to have a relationship and then to get like a call at one a.m. in the morning but, and go like. But she does say though. She does say to him, "You see women as uh, disposable pleasures rather yeah. than meaningful pursuits." Yeah. And you it's can say all you like about the jobs and everything else, but actually that's at the root of it. Women are just something to be like a bit of fun, mm. and that's where Tra- that's where Tracy. Sorry, that's where <laughs> Vesper. I know uh, that's where Vesper really gets to him and Tracy actually yeah. in that story. That there's just more there. Mm. They're smart, they're thoughtful, and they've just got so- and they've got humor and they've got um, wit and intelligence. That's why this sparring. Well, I think that's why that sparring, that verbal sparring on the train, is so important because that's not the sort of women he meets, no. um, and if he were to. He only meets them to sort of screw them. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't have the time for those sorts of conversations. So he's been introduced to a side of not only a woman but women in general. He doesn't tend to see. Yeah, and you can tell it when he when she leaves as well. He's like kind of like laughing. He, to, yeah. he was like, I yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, he had a good time, didn't he? I might go and tug one out. Yeah, it's like, well, how's your lamb <laughs> skewered? <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one sympathizes. Yeah, it's clever, isn't it? I think I do like the. I never, I never liked the line "perfectly formed arse though. That always just didn't sit right <laughs> with me. Yeah, it just didn't sit right for me. Didn't like. Okay, okay, fine. He's a, he's a bit arrogant. Actually, you know, he's a bit kind of like up himself a little bit. Yeah. Well, no, she says she says that to him, and I think actually she does very well here. But English is not her first language. She's fluent in English, can think and speak in English fine, but. Perfectly formed ass didn't come out quite right. <laughs> he sounds yeah. very, or, yeah, you know, in the accent. It, it, that would have come out of a naturally English-speaking woman, I think, a little bit better. 
Alls. Mills. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's really good scene. As I say, we we see he walks straight into the hotel and announces who he is, despite his cover story. <laughs> you know, it's a lift scene. All the more funny. He's like, you that's not bomb begins. That's me Roger Moore begins. <laughs> I, I, I guess that's kind of like a play on the whole a motif of like secret agent. He goes around using his real name everywhere. You know, it's um, it's a sign of a, the arrogance that all. Yeah, yeah and that as well. Um, <laughs> but again, it's it's more like verbal spar. It's like you know he, he kind of explains what he's thinking, and you think, yeah, you have a point. But then she goes, yeah, well, he knows something about you. He knows your arrogant. <laughs> he knows your yeah, reckless. Yeah. And she won't let him in the lift with her. Yeah, which no, I really no like. Me and it would go. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, then we have the scene we've already talked about with Mathis. And he's a um, Mark G. Wilson cameo as well. As yeah, he's police, the police chief gets arrested. Gets arrested yeah, <laughs> um, and you've yeah you've got you've got Mathis pulling various strings through the story. A bit later on, he hides the Ugandan bodies and implicates somebody else for him. Um, and we do have sort of bond being formed through you know getting his tux and getting uh, a dress ready for Eva Green's character. It's you can see all the building blocks coming into place. He's getting that tux, I must say. Yee. <laughs> you said it yourself, Dave. I know. Yeah. Um, so where do we go from here? We get we we have the game starting. It's probably the longest game of poker ever. <laughs> I, I don't is. know how long they're meant to go on for. But Each section help. is in um, is shot differently, and it's something I've never really picked up on. But listening to the commentary and all the rest of it, each stretch is filmed a bit differently. Yeah. So the first stretch is fairly traditionally shot. The sequence, I might get this the wrong way round, but I think the sequence where he is, uh, he comes back after killing the Ugandans, I think is shot very low wide angle lenses. Mm -hmm. And then the sequence where he's poisoned, I think it's this way round, is shot with a very dynamically moving camera, the camera moving down through the table and around. And then the final stretch of the game is shot with an awful lot of close-ups, as you would expect, on faces. Mm. Yeah. So there are, I might have got those middle two mixed up, but the gist is, once you know it's there, each, each, it, it, you can tell the different sections of the game from each other, and also they're telling you something different. Yes, they're setting a different Yeah, they're setting that as the game picks up, it gets more dynamic. The wider lenses yeah. are a little bit more almost isolating in a strange way because you've got Le Chiffre starting to lose, and he's got a wide angle lens with him very sort of lonely in the, in the center of it, yeah. and it's starting to look a little bit isolated. Yeah, I think and he's just had his life threatened as well. So it's, it's just a masterclass of being filmed, of filming. The casino looks fantastic. And apart from Mathis slightly over-explaining everything, the way it's laid out by... <laughs> the I don't, I don't know what you call him, but the guy who, who's running the game, we'll call him the concierge for want of a better Yeah, I don't term. know who he is. The concierge explains what's going to happen, when and how, and how the game's going to work and the buy-ins. It's just formality there, isn't it, really? It's great. Yeah, if you, if you want a masterclass on how to, how to film a scene, mm. this is it. We get various elements. We get the big fight with the Ugandans, which really, really pushes the boundaries of the 12A. The oh, Ugandan really gentleman they met, they met, um, Le Chiffre met with at the start of the film, mm. has broken into his suite. Bond has already uh, bugged 
he's in Halo, so he knows exactly where he is. He goes up there with Vespa, and the Ugandans are threatening to take off Le Chiffre's girlfriend's arm, or hand at least, and he's begging them and telling them he will get them their money. So he is under immense pressure. But of course, as they come out, I think they spot Bond's earpiece, and they spot that he's not who he, you know, they, they think he's... he's yeah, they go right after him, and you get the stairwell fight. That is just incredible, both from an action perspective and an, act, and an acting perspective, because Eva Green, with what we know now of where that character's going, her performance here tells us so much. And she's just, she's just pretty horrified by it, isn't she? She doesn't, she's like, what, you know, what's going on? And, and that scene with her and Bond in a shower kind of makes it all the more... Yeah, she was supposed it, to be... Um, emotionally kind of affecting, really. Yeah, it is. Uh, that, that was originally written. They were, she was supposed to be in there naked. Yeah. And it was Daniel Craig who said... She's no, she, traumatized. Would, she wouldn't think about that. She wouldn't no. even think about that. Yeah, it's like she always has PTSD, she pretty much. Straight, and she, he's right. Yeah, he's 100% right to do that, I think. And the music there, you get some of Vesper's theme. We hear it later when uh, they make love at the hospital. Mm. It's very... It's the most John Barry-esque bit of this score. And it reminds me, I keep saying it because it's a favourite of mine, there's bits of it that remind me of a Somewhere in Time score. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. if you think of where he was with Bond at the time, yeah. kind I, of around his Moonraker era. I is mean, this is, without a doubt, um, this is uh, David Arnold's best score. Oh, certainly, uh, 100%. It's I mean, his it, most romantic. It, 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 yeah, well, it definitely feels it's like... it's showy. It doesn't have um, a load of electronic stuff on it. Well, yeah, I mean... It's very played back, isn't it? You've got the brass, you've got the strings, it's very... Compared to Dino the Days, you know, to be um, honest, drum and bass with you, nightmare. I think the things would hold, you know, drum and bass, disco, disco, as what Becca would put it. <laughs> um, the, the, um, disco, disco will be, uh, will be uh, reserved for a few hours only. <laughs> elements of it. I, I think that was probably put there by request of the producers to be modern. I, I, I think probably, you know, you want to see what um, Arnold, you know, it scores really are, what he really would what, what want to do it. Yeah. Is, yeah, listen to the. Is in this two, film. And his I, two Craig era scores are very different than his Brosnan era. Yeah, yeah definitely. But but the, even like the more like even you look at the Brosnan area uh, area era. Um, Say that again, Chris. Even, you would. But, but even in the Brosnan era, you you know yes you have the 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 certain scenes that have like the you know the dance remix uh, versions of uh, versions of of stuff, but you have got the more traditional. Um, sort of more John Barry esque that, that that are really really good. I mean, I think I, I, I said in uh, World's Not Enough there was like the the those moments in that film. I thought the, the the score was beautiful, and I was like, yeah, that's great. You know, it was only in certain scenes where it just goes all like, you know, it's like, oh, really? Do we have to? It's uh, quite jarring because the two start. I mean, I've noticed it as we've gone through them this time. That the bits are kind that are John Barry esque. Yeah, really jar up against the other bits, and it and it it doesn't sit right. But this score is just very lush, very beautiful, and it uses the Chris Cornell theme. Now, if you just heard the Chris Cornell theme, you you might worry how is that going to be built into the score, and yeah. yet he uses it in quite a romantic way. Yeah, he does it. The no first problem. time I really noticed it is when you get the exterior of the, of the train. Yeah, and you just think, oh, he's really upped his game for this. Mm-hmm. And it, it it just works. I mean, I think you know, I kind of sort of try and pick up on that on in Bond films since when you sort of when you know the theme and you kind of like okay, well, what what lens are going to use that that? In the, in the yeah, song? how are you going to work it yeah. in? So. Um, so yeah, it's um, I yeah, I really 
but I mean, when I watched it, I mean, I, I, I was messaging you guys as well at the same time, and I was like, yeah, I'm just fucking loving everything about this film. It's like, like it just kept showing me stuff, and I was like, yeah, I love this. Yeah, I love this. This is great. Like, I was just in awe of every, pretty much in every aspect of this film. So it's all put together so well, isn't it? I just think yeah. there's no kind of like there are very, very few weak parts to it. So yeah, you've, you, so we've talked about the music. I mean, you've got that shower scene. I think the next morning is where he meets on the balcony with Mathis. Uh, Mathis. Mathis is hidden the bodies in somebody's <laughs> car that they want to get arrested. And I mean, he he's fucking good at his job, isn't he's he, Mathis? Brilliant no, he's he's very good. This is, you know, he's been keeping secrets a long time. I know. But he no, gets what, stuff done. Um, what I was saying earlier about like the whole thing, because uh, you know, I know Mathis obviously from from the books um, as well as friend. But I think when we get to Quantum, which is very weird, he kind of is painted as if he was some kind of villain or there was another side to him. But it's like, no, he did, you know, he, he does a lot for Bond. He covers, he covers up for him and, as you say, moving a lot of obstacles out of his way. But it was kind of like a little bit, mm, is he is he, mm, is he a bit nefarious? But actually, no. We, we can, no, we can explain that within the context of this film. Yeah, And we exactly. will do in a, in a while. But you get that line that was in all the trailers, melted your cold heart yet. Mm, and when you important. talk, you know, when you, when you hear, think of the lyrics to the main title theme and what Bond is in this film, that's what this film is about. Exactly. Opening him up enough that it really hurts and he closes over again. Mm. But we ne- go to the next sequence of the poker, and this is the sequence where we get, oh, we, we, where he gets poisoned. Yeah, I think this is like another, like, I think naysayers of the film, the, you know, that, or people who have problem with film would, would point at this, thinking, oh, this is a little bit silly, this bit. Or this was just a little bit, like, a, t- a stretch too far. Um, Not really. Well, you know... A, a, yeah, I, I, I'm just. Go, yeah, I don't personally think it, but I'm just. I'm, I'm just. I just think this is where some people might go. Oh, okay, really? That's that's a little bit daft. The whole like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know give myself CPR. <laughs> um, exactly. Okay, at this point, like in the, in the um in the game as well, wasn't Bond lost quite a lot of money? I mean, he, he actually loses for the first point in the game. Um, and so and it's kind of it also shows the chef up to be you know underhanded bastard pretty much. Hmm. He didn't think he was bad already. You know, he wouldn't go so far as poisoning your drink. Well, you know, he's trying to, you know, get rid of his threat, really. The guy. Yeah, gonna, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm particularly uh, an agent as well, so he's like, well, fucking hell. So, um... Plus, earlier we had that visual visual cue for the defibrillator, so you've got to use it at some point. You can't just show it and go, oh, yeah, we're not going to use it. Yeah, so. yeah. So... <laughs> just an excuse, really. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, basically, um, Bond gets uh, his drink poisoned by uh, she's girlfriend, which, uh, seeing that... Um, she he pretty much saved her having her arm lobbed off. I think it's pretty harsh. Yeah, it's a nice way to uh, pay you. But, <laughs> nice way to say thanks. The email yeah. her girlfriend. Um. So yeah, and it. I, I like I like this because Bond is again thinking on his feet. He's like he, you know he he makes his excuses, runs to the toilet, grabs some salt, tries to throw it up, realizes that's not working. The scene's kind of shot and kind of like. In you know, like a drug-filled haze, like everything's kind of spinning, so you kind of that's a bit kind of like shaky cam, yeah, isn't it? Because we're, so, yeah. we're, we're disoriented, the same as Bond is. Yeah, so, so you kind of basically you, you're you're with Bond, you're seeing like everything like how he's seen it, and he is completely fucked. <laughs> and he's like, "Why? Right, yeah, fuck pretty much." Do I do. Um, and this is this is a level of of lose of bypassing vanity in the character that we probably wouldn't have got during the era because he's pouring with sweat. He's looking rough anyway because he's already had a bit of a kicking on the stairwell. Daniel Craig screwed his face up. The camera pans in very close to him during the poisoning, much that he ends up looking a bit like uh, Lee Evans in certain certain shots. (laughs) And 
I actually think this is oh, a really God. effective scene. It really does because he he does feel like oh you know this could be it you know it, it could be the end of it you never know. But, um, he talks about you know he doesn't make any good quips like when he comes back to the card table he's like oh that last hand and he killed me I think that's probably the only one you know best, best quip. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a perfect example like what Dave was saying uh, on previous episodes where it's like oh we're just throwing a gag you know for the sake of it it's like why. You know, just, just this one makes sense. It's not just thrown in there. Yeah, this one, you know, it's you know, like just throwing a gag when you funny. come up with a good one. You know, and it's like mm. example, like well, you know, you you thought of a funny line, funny witty line. Yeah, use yeah. it. Don't just yeah. throw, it just, just don't throw one in for the sake of it. Because yeah, we, I mean that last hand nearly killed me. I saw this at the cinema, and it got a laugh. It got yeah, a genuine. Everyone laugh. laughed in my screening. Yeah, it, it didn't just get a. Oh, it got a genuine laugh. No, I, I think I saw this quite a few times. Probably not as many. I can't remember. I think it was probably as many as Spectre. But every single time I saw it, it got like a proper laugh from the audience, not just like a little titter here and there. But it got, you know, everyone laughed at that line. You could say because there isn't many laughs in it uh, in in Casino Royale that it makes it more effective. It uh, does, and, and also it it's generally worked on as well. You know, you had like a big build. Like it's like you've had this kind of like big life threatening build up, which kind of like works its own yeah. right. So it's like a quick piffy one-liner is perfect there because it just... Well, you, you've got that, you've got Miss Stephanie Broadchest and you've got, um, you've got I wouldn't think of it, you're not going back in there. This film has plenty of humour in it. What it doesn't have is a lot of froth and I think you can confuse confuse it for dour and it's, it's just not. I think there's, there's more laughs in this film than most Bond films. There aren't more jokes but there's more laughs. laughs. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I was really happy with it. So which of a which of a throwaway line? Which of a last day did you, uh, do you do you really like in the film? Uh, the Stephanie Broadchest line got a laugh at the time. <laughs> it doesn't so much on rewatch, but it took you by which surprise because am I just being fit? where What's he's in the you? car and he's reading their cover story. Apparently, he's like, I, my, my I, name's Arlington Beach and your name's Stephanie Broadchest, and her face is like, oh, oh, let me see that. And she cuts across him quite quickly because it's kind of throwaway, but it's funny. When he gets out of the car and she says, you're not going back in there, I wouldn't dream of it. That got a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not as big a laugh, but a laugh. And uh, that last hand really killed me, got the biggest laugh in the film. Yeah. As I recall. Yeah. Um, do I look like I give a damn got a, got a big laugh as well. Mm. When oh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't care if it's wanked off or fingered. <laughs> yeah, the but, but thing is that that's not even... Hold the egg. <laughs> Would you like it? <laughs> Would you like it whipped? <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, yeah, the torture scene. That that generally, that, I think that got a laugh as well. Oh, and, yeah, the whole and this is like a like, no, really no, intense moment <laughs> where he's like scratching scratch. my balls. I've got a yeah. scratch down there. Would you mind? Well, we've I've just named what? Five, what have we just named there? Five or six laughs of varying yeah. degrees. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I laughed about three times during Roger Moore's <laughs> entire tenure. Oh. So yeah, and they were genuine laughs. I mean that the. the um, Oh, James, I need you. So does England got me a laugh. Tell him to pull out immediately got a laugh. That's twice in the same film. We're, I'm with the economy tour, ma'am, from the the one I hate, Octopussy. That's a really funny line. And there's two or three others, I'm sure, but there's more in this film than there are in Roger Moore's entire run. And yet it's seen as really comedic. Well, it's only really comedic because you're goofing around constantly. So when they do use humour here, it, it's, it's... It's clever and it means it's clever, something. It's clever, it's used well... And it's one thing that he does have over Dalton because he can deliver the line. 
yeah to, to be fair much as i loved it and it was quite serious mm. but um yeah i think here they're kind of they, they kind of the more comedic moments i guess you can call them it's kind of function the scene quite quite well and they're, they're effective and they're not just like a throwaway clip yeah he, he is charismatic uh greg um yeah the reason... Yeah, that's, that's the right word to use, charismatic. That's, yeah, 100% on the ball. There are two reasons that Mathis is thought to be a, a traitor. Firstly, um, Le Chiffre says it himself. Uh, uh, your friend Mathis is my friend. My friend Mathis. Mathis. Well, he's saying that to deflect it away from Vesper. Yeah. And secondly, the tell that wipes Craig out to start with. He said that to Mathis and Vesper, so he assumes Mathis dobbed him in and he didn't it was Vesper and then yeah. as soon as he's cleared out Vesper doesn't want to restake him she's trying to rescue him by keeping getting it over quickly yeah she wants to keep him afloat really doesn't yeah. she but See, we do I, get... I never knew that I, 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 I always figured that it was something that uh, she just figured out himself because I think when you look when you look at the table you, you, you look at like the close ups there's like kind of like a I think there's a maybe it's just down to like interpretation of of how. Well, how, how he the... says um, he he when he wins and wipes Bond out, he says, "You must have thought I was bluffing." Mm-hmm. He's basically saying, "But Bond, I showed so... you my I showed you my tail, so you must have there, thought I was bluffing." You must have thought I was bluffing. There was, yeah. there was a yeah, but there's a scene where like Bond says to it, he kind of like he kind of says it. Where he's like, I don't consider myself in trouble. You know, as I start weeping blood, you've just given away. Like, you, you, you just kind of went like, to, yeah, I know when you're bluffing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's... yeah. But it isn't the weeping blood that gives it away. Yeah. It's, a, it's it's more of a no. physical tick than that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, I think it's fair. I think if you spoke to the writers, they would tell you that was the intention. That he thinks it's Mathis because he's Vespers with him, and Mathis he doesn't know. He assumes Mathis told the shift. It wasn't. It was Vesper. And, well, yeah, no, no, and then as soon sense. as he's wiped out, Vesper doesn't want to restake him. And it's got nothing to do with him being reckless, even though that's her cover for it. It's because, right, I've done what I needed to do. You're wiped out. I want this over. Yeah. I want you alive. Now now you chance to kind of get out of here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but the, we, no. Instead, we get an introduction of a new Phoenix Lighter. Yes. Now, Dave, do you like this interpretation of Phoenix Lighter? Because it's been very sketchy so far. Yeah, it is. I, oh, I'm, yeah, I was perfectly happy with this, and uh, I, whilst the films don't necessarily need Felix, I have kind of, I must have liked it because when he wasn't in Skyfall Inspector, I was disappointed. Yeah. So I think it's the first time it's been con- a consistent thing because he's in the next film, and you yeah. think you want like some sort of continuation of that character uh it's just nice to oh they have some consistency like it's like the money uh, and, or... and obviously when you had jack lord jack lord was like similar age good looking and all the rest of it and and you looked at them and went that's just the american bond whereas this guy isn't really a gambler he's he's when you're seeing the next film he's a very different beast to bond a lot less showy in a lot of ways and it's I find it quite an interesting dynamic, and I would have liked to have seen more of that. And of course, they've, also... they've they've closed in in the last two films on like MI6 and MI6's purpose and MI6's reason for being and the double O section. I would have actually liked to see more of how they deal with other another agency. Yeah, I I, I just I I, li- I just liked. I first I like the actor as well 
It's yeah. like it's a good solid, you know, good actor to take on the role. Uh and it just has like a nice sort of play like well it, it's what in the two films he's in, he is kind of slightly various different types of moods. He's there, he's a little bit more realist but a little bit more playful in terms of with Bond. But there is like kind of like a nice sort of underlining companionship between the two. You know, I mean, it, here it's like when they first meet, you know, it's carried over a little bit more. He's, you know, he's like, he's kind of like, he's stuck in a hard place, but he's loyal, still loyal to him. He's like, you know, um, so I, I, I do like, you know, there's a good like connection here that hasn't been done before properly. You know, mm. we like, you know, we told that in License to Kill. And also, he, he is a, he is quite a well-timed balancing out of the Craig character because he's just he's just been wiped out. He's gone to the bar. We've got that line about you know shaken or stirred. Do I look like I give a damn? And on a whim, he grabs a knife. He's going to go and establish it. His, his tactical brain and the big picture and everything else has deserted him completely. Because like, because here he's thinking, right, everything's fucked. So, yeah. so I'll fuck it even more almost, or yeah. I'll kill him. Well, that's not what British intelligence want. That's not what any of these agencies want. And if the CIA are there, they really don't want that. They need him alive. And this whole thing of the big picture keeps coming back. And as he's about to go and do it... With, a, with not, a, not an actual proper killing knife, with no, he a just table knife. Off the table. Yeah, he Which just you imagine that must table. be like a brutal fucking murder. Yeah. So that tells you that's another bit of the sort of brutality of this bond at this stage. And also, it takes Felix to get hold of him and say, actually, you've got the beating of this guy. I can see it. He's actually just been conned by a false tell anyway. Mm. Not that Felix is going to know that. And um, it, it, it calms Bond down. So I think it's a very, very well-timed interjection as well. Yeah, I think that works well in the book as well. Um, I mean, I'm not really it, but I imagine it's like it's there in line in the story. You know, it's uh, he is restaked by the CIA. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah, they're basically bankrolling him. The rest of, here on end, sort of thing, pretty much. Yeah. I think uh, Jeffrey Wright is he's really. I, I do like him as Felix, but he's really underused. He's such. You know, if, if you see, I mean, he appeared in 2007 in the, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake. Yeah. Um, I think he was in the Shaft remake as well. Um, uh, he's but, been in a couple of the Hunger Games films as well. Yeah, Hunger is BT famously. Um, but he's in um, the remake of The Manchurian Candidate as well. Um, I've seen that, but I don't remember him in it. No, he's really good in it. I, I really rate Jeffrey Wright. I saw Wright. that at the cinema. Um, that's like 12 years ago. I've not seen it since. Yeah, I've seen no, it. No, it's, it's, it's one of my favourite movies, actually. I, I, I love it as well. Yeah. But I remember liking it. proves vaguely on the original. Oh, I did I it for my dissertation. So, yeah. But it's, it's really good fun. Um, well, not good fun, but it's a really interesting remake. Um, but no, I, I quite rate him as an actor, and he's really underused here as Felix, uh, which is a great, great, great shame. He's used enough for the story. I mean, I, you know... Mm. I'll, <laughs> I went to see the new X-Men film today and that is a textbook example of how to completely underuse characters. The, 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 table, the table we have here, they're all used as much as they need to be, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and there's going to be an element of padding because you need ten people around the table. And, you know, I, I kind of like, you like, you kind of see Felix, you know, he's, he's just kind of there, you know, he's a bit more prominent than the other members other than, like, Bond and the Sheaf. He kind of like you know. Well, he's pos- he's positioned correctly on the table. Yeah. That when the yeah, camera's yeah, down right that place. hand and points across them, Felix is in shot. Yeah. Sure. And, exactly. and of course, like Felix is the only one who's kind of like adding like a little bit of like softness to the tension, a little bit like you know. With, uh, and bleeding chips. Yeah, or kind of like you know, like you know, thinks <laughs> thinks like thinks someone knows something that we don't, or kind of thing. 
Um, <laughs> so we've skipped around the story a little bit there because we actually did get as far as the last game where Bond wins. Yeah. Um, yeah, he actually wins the game, people. He actually wins the game. Um, he wins with a hand that isn't immediately, obviously a win. It is because it's a straight flush. But it's low-value cards. And as a viewer, you would have a moment where you're like, is that good enough? <laughs> um, I think it's quite masterfully done, this sequence. And the mo- less so at the time, because like I said earlier in the podcast, I was much more sort of faces, reactions, words than the actual cards themselves. But as I go back and rewatch it now and actually pay attention to the cards, it's quite well put together. And Bond celebrates with a meal. Yes. Yeah, what, he goes and has a good, good, some good grub. Oh, he's a caviar, doesn't he? I can't remember <laughs> what they go to eat, but he gets he the restaurant to himself. <laughs> I bet, yeah, I, 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 I bet, bet, bet Stefan's just loving him. Just let you just finish off table for two. For fuck's sake. sake. <laughs> 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 yeah, you imagine it, can't you? Like, yeah, I know. He's won the money, so he probably, you know, I'll have that most expensive steak, you know. It's, it's not really that's... his money, though, is it? <laughs> no, that's true. He's, got, he's still able to give the croupier a tip. But, yeah, um, it's for you. It's, it, it's a good sequence, though. Um, um, you can see Vesper warming up to him, even though she's still got the Algerian love knot on. Um, but she gets a text about halfway through, and she says, Oh, Mathis, and walks out. And again, this would add to the idea that, in our minds, that Mathis is slightly... Yeah. It, wasn't from, it wasn't from Mathis. She's lying. It's not from Mathis. She just needs to get out of there. Uh, and uh, she yeah, it's, is... really, it's a nice kind of like twist at the end, isn't it? As well, unless you've read the book, of course. But it's one of those things that's kind of it's really cleverly done. And it's yeah. not, it's not, the reveal isn't until right at the very end. So, the re- yeah, basically, she is taken off in a car. He realizes what's going on, runs out, jumps into his Aston, and you think you're going to get a big car chase. You don't. She is put in the middle of the road which launches, but Bond, in uh, avoiding her, launches into what was a world record seven rolls. Yeah, so well, seven and three quarters, so yeah. there. So, yeah, <laughs> a world record. And uh, I don't. Well, I, I think there was somebody in that car, I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah you, they, have, they, they you, think you have to, wouldn't you, to kind it's, of get it It's to incredible. It, but... In one of the trailers, they hadn't framed it quite right, and you could see the sort of little ramp it went up. Yeah, in one of the trailers, but you can't in the finished well, film. In the trailer, no, kinda, really kinda, it, it kind of showed you why you see Vesper like in the middle of the road and Bond like turning and it flipping. It kind of like ruined that. Really, you kind of see you just wait for it to happen. Yeah, it was in the music video as well. And yeah. um, but again, we get the my friend Mathis, and he's taken. And it for, looks great as well. It looks. It looks really great. The yeah, stunt looks, looks really great. He's put in the car with Vesper, who's. If you've ever gone on like a night out when you and you know at the very end of the night you see some woman in a bar who's been crying heavily through a mascara mm. or something, that's, that's what, what it looks, looks like. like. She's right in the corner looking really dishevelled and frightened. Panda eye blesser. And um, he's taken to a secluded place to have his testicles whipped, which is in the book. It's a carpet beater. Carpet beater or something, isn't it? It's a carpet beater in the book, but they do it. They went there, and it was it's one quite, of the guiding principles the book, of this. Actually. They said that. The, there were a couple of things they, they had to have in there. One was the last line, uh, the, the bitch is dead, yeah. and the other was the testicle beating, and they do it. I think from that alone, the two of the saying, like, these are the two things that, that have to be in the film, it just sets the film in total, because how else can you... You can't really do, like, the typical Pierce Brosnan-type Bond with that end line and, like, a hardcore torture sequence. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. like no. sort of at the beginning, at the beginning of your third act. It's just a bit like and the, the, the torture you, sequence, like with the, with the torture chair, and there wasn't enough. I think that was probably about as hardcore as. Well, he was tortured over the credits of Die Another Day, but it was only a handful of shots, and it wasn't particularly hardcore. Whereas here, you would really feel it. It's quite tough, and you just think, oh, dear, you know. Well, he's, he's already... Which I believe that he's being beaten. You know, you, you've seen throughout the film that, you know, like, you know, fights, you know, you get, you know, when he has a fight, he gets hurt. You know, it's not, you know, there are consequences to the violence, you know, physically, not just, like, yeah. emotionally or, you know, in, in, in other aspects. That, you know, there's, you know, he's he's already, like, he's just had a car accident, he's already kind of beaten up, he's beaten a man already, and now... And you can hear, te- you can hear Vespa being, quote-unquote, tortured in another room. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's played really well, you know. The Chief's asking, acting desperate, because that's what he is, but then again... He, it's it's that kind of like well you kind of fucked because he said well if you kill me you know you you have nowhere to go to he's like actually actually I, I can I can gut both of you right here now and no, you're still welcome me with open arms yeah, you need what I know yeah and it's just like and then fair he says fucking point. the big picture yeah which in reality in that scenario would he re- would he re- say those words and say them out loud I don't know but it's a nice cue to the audience back to what. Judy Dench was trying to teach him at the start of the film. Don't go and kill one bomb maker when we're trying to bring down a network. Mm. Um, and don't assume you're central to everything when basically we, we need to make cut a deal with him one way or another. Um, but he is shot by Mr. White because, again, he's gone to win back some money, staked in even more and lost. Which is a bit odd because, you know, I think Mr. White's a cool character. But do you really think he's like... Proper hitman type guy. You just walk in and just kill everyone. Well, we don't know enough about him, do we? No. But I can imagine that he would be quite happy to do it himself. Whether whether he would get his hands too dirty, I don't know. No, but it's, but one, it's one clean of, shot to the head. Yeah, I, I imagine he might have other guys with him. Possibly, I don't know. I think the only thing I do think the only thing that gives it plausible uh, a plausibility to me is when he's introduced to the Ugandans at the start. Mister White's there in person. Mm. He he. You know, and he's in. I don't know if you see him in Venice, but he's yeah, he is. He's in Venice at the end as well. Mister White is quite hands on. He stays in the shadows, but he's normally there. He's there. And he's trying much to most, save most the stage of the film, isn't he? Really? Yeah, he's there. So uh, it kind of works for me, and it's it takes you by surprise if you haven't read the book. And I'm not sure if I had at this point. I might have done, but I didn't mm. expect the shifter to be killed at the end of Act Two. Yeah, and not by Bond as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. I um, suppose unknown. But. Yeah. So yeah. It's, again, it's another. It's it's just a really well constructed story uh, because it's just like <laughs> it just twists and it goes. Oh, it doesn't take the directions that you normally would suspect. No, you wouldn't expect it, would you? No. Yeah. And then he's taken to some facility on what looks like Lake Como or something like that to recover. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it's Lake Which Como. I imagine his testicles must have been swelled up like melons by now. Yeah, but. <laughs> There is a deleted scene where he's rushed into the hospital as well. You can see he's in a very, very bad way. And the implication is it takes him weeks to recover. Yeah, it will do because it's, you know... He's He's quite shaken up, isn't he? He's really quite shaken up. He's really really badly hurt and it's taking time to recover. And even when they come for Mathis, he's still sort of sat in the chair. He's, he's He's not doing anything himself. Yeah. Um... And Vesper is, in hindsight, again, it's a wonder of acting. You put it down at the time that she's worried about him. 
and she's starting to fall for him and all that, which, all of which is true. But the tears in her eyes are, are quite simply the situation she's in. Mm. She now loves this guy, uh, but Mathis has just been arrested and who knows what's going to happen to him. She's nearly got this guy killed. She's still under the yoke of what we later find out to be quantum. It's, it's, so she's still in a very, very messy situation. But um, we do see them fall in love to a lovely piece of score from, from David Arnold. It's Vesper's theme again. Very, very pretty mm-hmm. John Barry-esque score. And then I think it cuts to them on a beach, which think, is... The, sorry, go on. I was going to say, is that before the... I think there's another laugh in the film where the a little finger line... The little finger line. Yeah, you, if, it was, if it was only your smile and a finger left, I'd still love you. Yeah. That's because you know what I can do with my little yeah. finger. And I just think, well, he must have a tiny knob. <laughs> just, just use that. Honest. <laughs> or, or one of your bigger fingers. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but hey, you know. Um, but the, the scene on the beach that follows is basically this film's version of Honor Majesty's Secret Service in the barn. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kept thinking of Leslie Nielsen and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Priscilla Presley running along the beach. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you walking think it would be more effective if yeah. they come out of platoon laughing? <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. But he does talk about trying to leave with his soul intact. And yeah. that he loves her, and that he'll he'll need a pro- one of them will need a proper job, and that's probably her because he doesn't know what one is. Yeah, and that's there are little echoes of the dialogue between Lazenby and Diana Rigg, and it say it's a very similar scene. And because they're on the beach and they're away from sort of civilization, if you like, they're on a deserted beach. She's almost able to convince herself briefly, mm. and that's kind of like the book where you know for a while she thinks she can get away with it. And it's just seeing Gettler a bit later on that reminds us she can. So we do look at this point, and we can't be because it's an early Bond film, but we, f- we look almost like we're heading for a happy ending. Yeah. Not, about, well... not like Draco's car. Not that type of <laughs> The name is Bond. James Bond. <sighs> <sighs> yeah, that, that's how that would have been. Well... Mr. White was on it's the It's the floor. only happy ending Bond had in the car. Oh, you're down there, love. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh... And then they head for Venice, which again is a classic Bond. Um, it okay. looks very striking, though. I mean, I think it's one of the things that uh, this film does well. It just looks great. I mean, There's no double taking pigeons this time. No, well, well no, but things are this is the same thank person. God. This same that person. pigeon was back in rehab for the seventh time. He wasn't available. No. Yeah, this is the same cinematographer as um, as a uh, Goldeneye user regular for Martin Campbell, right. and it's just like they both look vastly different. Both these films. And... This one looks so much better, but Venice is beautiful generally. I can't if you if you get a chance to go there, go. It's just it's stunning. But yes, it's don't go again, in the summer. It smells of shit. If you, if you go really early in the morning, avoid. <laughs> go late in the evening. But um. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's, it's another. Um, obviously, it's a Bond location that we've seen before. It's again kind of like home from home. Um, but yeah, it just looks superb. But he tenders his resignation on his Sony laptop. Yeah, I wonder how what Wi-Fi he's got from on the middle of a on a, on a boat. <laughs> yeah. <on> a <laughs> yeah. I was like, fucking hell, that's quite you know 
<laughs> yeah, he just posts to the laptop. <laughs> it's like, so it's like this was 2006 as well. So. Paper, Andy. So he types it on there and then just posts to the laptop. <laughs> um, but she sees Gettler, and that's described as similar in the book. He, this presence she sees with one eye. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that was uh, in the in the book. Gettler's thought... in the book. I mean, I can't remember. I don't think it's Venice, but it, it, she is. She she gets that moment of thinking, or that period of thinking. They could have a life, and maybe she's got away with it. And Spotting Gettler tells her, I'm never going to be out of this life. They've got me. Um, and so it cuts them. In, and, yeah, so then it cuts from there to them in a suite in bed. And she jumps up and throws a dress on, which does make, make me think she's probably got no underwear on for the rest of the film. But that might just be me thinking, overthinking it. But they dress her in red as well, which is such a, a minor thing. But not only does it evoke... Uh, don't look now, Venice-based, uh, red. But also, she's the only character in any of the shots wearing red, so she stands out. Yeah, because red's like quite striking colour anyway. So it would, yeah. Yeah, and she she goes to the bank, but it turns out the text she's received is from Gettler, mm. saying eight and a half an hour. Um, Bond is called by M, and the Treasury are wondering why the money hasn't turned up. And it's basically being taken from this account by, by Mr. White's lot. Yeah. And he gets there just in time for basically, they're basically in this abandoned building. Yeah. And she, yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I, what, one of the things that sort of I really like about, um, there's, there's a line where it's all coming to out. He, he's he's realised that Vesper's the one who betrayed him. And it's it's all coming to and, he, and she and the and is it is, is it what's what's the bad guy's name the, the yeah. one that, yeah he's the of, one with one eyes Gettler yeah Gettler he you know he or they, they threaten to sort of kill if he don't come out and he he, he without even thinking he goes allow me and, and you know and he and he's like obviously he doesn't actually do it because he gets shot at yeah but there's the tent like no I was, he was just gonna kill her himself right there and then and yeah. this kind of like almost like a, a mournful coldness to him like. It's you know it's he's he's still cold blooded enough to do that, but this time it's like he's quite good about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Which, but I just really really love that kind of that idea. But um. Obviously, you, you know, we get an action scene now. So. Yeah. Uh, and the action sequence is okay. It's it's quite sort of industrial. They're shooting nail guns at each other and stuff. Um. Vesper shuts herself away, locks herself in. She knows she's going to drown in there. And you get a moment of fear just before the life goes out of her as well, mm. which just feels feels so real. Obviously, none of us well, know what it's like to drown. Well, yeah, feels... I mean, that's what kind of happens when you drown, because you make your mind up and it's just like... But the know... reality of having to go through it, yeah. Yeah, a... I, yeah I suppose that reaching out, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah reaching and out. just kiss his hand first. And I just, I, I do like this scene, and I, I've never seen it as a, as a big tack-on particularly. It's part of the final act of the film. Um, and then, of course, after he dies, he gets her out of there. That's shot on a soundstage, but they've, they've artificially messed with the light so it does look like outside. And he goes a bit Pierce Brosnan. He has a good feel of her tits. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to revive her, and he's given her mouth-to-mouth, but it kind of turns into a kiss, yeah. and I couldn't help but think of Pierce Brosnan. Or Lazenby, because he does, you know... Yeah, but Lazenby Yeah, I must say, I thought more of Lazenby in the scene. Well, yeah, it is, it's meant to echo that, but it was just him kissing dead women again. Uh-huh. 
Um, it's but a, it's I a think, real heartbreaking it... scene, and he, he just acts it so well. Yeah. And Mr. White watches him, and you almost sense Mr. White's even feeling it slightly. <laughs> he just, his just heart is absolutely open for the last time. So then we cut back to his, and after that we cut back to his boat. Oh Where yeah, and he's on, on he's on the phone to M, and the, the the actual job's done. Bitch is dead. But he also it's like oh, it's it kind of like M M kind of goes like um well that's kind of proves massive uh, Mathis uh, innocence like no just proves that no it just proves that he, uh, she's guilty not that he's innocent which is yeah. kind of like fuck's sake that's pretty. You don't know what she, he's in on, and yeah. I, I mean, she's she's basically saying, "Well, you've learned your lesson, then," which is just don't trust anybody yeah. in this game. Doesn't mean interrogate and torture everybody, but it means if we've got enough uh, probable cause to like drag him in, we don't just throw that away because she was involved. We don't know, mm. and at the end of the day, Le Chiffre did said, my, "Did say my friend Mathis." I think that's not accurate. I think he was just throwing the scent off Vesper. But you've got enough there to pursue it a little. Mm. And um, I just love that. The bitch is deadline. Uh, yeah. But he's still got the phone. And yeah, it, 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 there's you can see there's some sentimentality there yeah. still for her. And that gets explored more in the next film. But it, it's a good scene. I'm glad they put it in. The sad thing is they, that was the name of the last song on the soundtrack, which came out before the film. So you could go there. A bitch is dead. All right, okay. <laughs> Bit of a giveaway if you don't know. It's not really story. a spoiler. It seems the book's fifty plus years old. So, but most people who go to see this film haven't read the book. Well, if you're a Bond fan, yeah, mo- yeah, yeah but most yeah, people. It wouldn't <laughs> make enough fair, money Dave, just Bond fans. To be fair, mo- most people who go who uh, go and see a film don't actually look at the soundtrack. <laughs> no, <laughs> I suppose that's true enough. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the Star Wars even. Yeah, it's like yeah, like Qui Gon's funeral. Pokemon's funeral. Yeah, right it's like not, not only is it just a stupid thing to put there, but it's also a shit title for like a you know a music piece. Um, There's a last line in the Casino Royale book as well, and I think it's I remember going to when I saw this upon release. There's one idiot who laughed at that line. I just thought, oh, you, deep, you know, I just, I'm not going to swear. You were censoring you yourself cracked. even then. Yeah, going to give him a slap. But if I wasn't sat so you know sat at the back, obviously with the other half. And I was like, right, if it wasn't, you know, I would have punched them. <laughs> so not a row of people in the way. Oh, that's just Beck's really, quite violent, really. Isn't she? That is what. So if you had sat on the same row, a couple of seats away from him, you'd have got up and twatted. This <laughs> I would have gone, Shh, you know. Well, what, 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 what got like a, a drum symbol? <laughs> you really just got to chill out. Just go to the bar, have a wanked off, not fingered. The official <laughs> drink of Jew inspectors to talk. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come up with a recipe, but not kind of. We, did, we have got a recipe, drink, it's but... just grim. Yeah, no. <laughs> just yeah. to remind listeners. It's just a white wine spritzer, that's all it is. White wine spritzer. Vodka, martini, egg white. Vinegar. <laughs> and, um, uh, what was it? It's not pilchard juice. <laughs> Sardine juice. Sardine juice, that's it. Something like that. Mm. Like that. So, <laughs> and two olives. Because mm, that'll improve it loads. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the uh, the final text from uh, Vesper just yeah. says Mister White and a phone number. Yeah. So he traces that, and we end up with the Mr. first White time begins. we hear the Bond actual yeah. Bond theme. Yeah, Mister White takes a phone call. Mister White, we need to talk, and he's shot in the leg, and then you get Bond, Bond in a blue version of the Goldfinger Connery suit. Mm-hmm. 
standing over him, announces who he is, and we go into the theme yeah. music for titles. Ben. And basically, I then came home and wiped all the jizz out of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 every time? Uh... Well, I'm not always. I'm sometimes at home watching it, so you know. Yeah. I don't have to worry as much. Are you always wearing pants, though? No. Oh. <laughs> no. I, no, just, just, just. I can recommend Casino Royale al fresco. Al fresco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, so, um, so back up. So, opinions. What do you reckon? Opinions. Um, Dave, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um. Every time I watch this, it, it's not it's not the Bond film I watch most. I watch Majesties m- a bit more, and I watch License to Kill more. But that's not to praise them more than this film. I think this film is one of the more intricate in the series, one of the better plotted in the series, one of the better shot in the series, one of the better scores, arguably the best leading performance. Uh, the leading lady is up there with Diana Rigg as, as one of the best leading ladies. Allies, you've got uh, Mathis, who's up, up there with the Karen Bays and the Dracos. Um, the Shifra is, uh, it, although a low-level criminal, is expertly played by a, what, a guy who we know went on to have a terrific career thereafter. The set design is wonderful. Everything about this film is right. There is very little I can pick any fault in, which to my mind means that if it's either flawless or the flaws are so small that they don't affect the end result, what you've got is a masterpiece. One of two in the series. Love it. Um, I completely agree with uh, Dave. Um, it's the the quality, the difference in quality, and um, is just it, you know it's it's just eons. You know, you, you go from like even from one of the better Bond films, this just feels like not just a good film, it, it a great film. It works on pretty much every level you care to stand on. If you you know, and I think it's really evident for people. I think you, you really sort of tell. Cause I think. When this came out, there were people who weren't Bond fans, and they went and saw it and really enjoyed it. And I think that is testament. My to... father was an example. Was he not a Bond fan at all, but loved Casino Royale? And I think that just shows just how good that film is in terms of it. It stands on its own as a great film that fan that non fans of the series will enjoy it and get something out of it. You know. I mean, any film can be your favourite in this series, any film. If you like it, you like it, and you'll get no criticism for us, despite what we might say about those films when we renew th- uh, review them. But to me, there are only two films that I would con- that consider c- could go objectively at number one, and it's this or Majesties. They are the two best realised and with most of their most elements got right of anything yeah. in this series. And daring as well, though. Both daring. To, both to... very, very brave. And yeah, push a lot of the envelopes. And ju- yeah. And just slickly directed, like, this is the best film Martin Campbell has done, you know, not it's out of... I mean, I don't think he... It's, it, I think it surprised me. I mean, I always thought of him as a solid director, but this was just, like, like a masterful. I know? felt it would be good. I did not expect it yeah. to be great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was just it. I was hoping it to be good. I mean, I, I again, I, I walked out when I first saw it, kind of like I really liked it, but I kind of, mi- I kind of didn't really feel like it was a bomb film. But it, I, but I instantly knew I wanted to watch it again. It'll probably work better on rewatch, and it's just kept, kept, 
going on proving as I rewatch it. it just it just keeps me there. Like I I, I can I think it it, it came to realization only after like two years where I realized I can literally easily watch this film, um, you know, at any at any time. I just thought, well, that's that's the sign of a great film. I can't I have to. I know yeah. that I, I know that I mean it did get me first time, but I mean we talked about it as we went through the film. You know, it starts off black and white and you think, all right, bit arty farty and then it cuts to that bathroom scene and it cuts to considerably and then that opening credit sequence and you're like, Yeah, they've they've done this, they've nailed this. Becca, what do you think? Yeah, there's not really much else to say to add what has already been said really. Um, okay, good night is... folks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. No, carry on, back. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's top five all the way. Um, maybe top three, perhaps. But yeah, just everything about it's perfect. I mean, I think having Paul Haggis come along um, and do the, the, not the rewrite, but kind of like the polish, as it were. Obviously, it's coming off the back of Crash, um, and that was definitely the right choice to make. Um, we talked earlier about having Purvis and Wade create a you know, entirely different beast from Dying of the Day to this film. Same with Martin Campbell as well. I mean, this is completely a whole different film compared to Goldeneye. Um, which is one of my personal favourites. But here, I think everything feels right. The casting is great. Spot on performances all the way. Um, set, music, um, lighting, you know, just everything came together and in a way that just felt completely 100% right. Uh, any plot holes are really just kind of insignificant, really, and don't, don't injure the film as a whole. I mean, it's not like a perfect movie, but, nothing, you know, there isn't one. Um, yeah, this is this is like one of the best Bond films in a long time, and... Does, the, 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 make, best, the best in Daniel Craig's tenure, definitely. Doesn't it make? Doesn't it say everything though? That somebody posted, and, and we're grateful for you doing it. I think it was um, Simon Hunter. I think posted it. The how it should have ended. Mm, yes. Uh, um, and it was like, oh, that's an interesting plot hole I'd never thought of. Yeah. And as it, we get to even... it, it's not. It's not a plot hole. It's not. We've we've just explained it. It's in dialogue in the film. Yeah. It's not a plot hole. So if if a series of skits that are designed to pick holes in films, the, the hole it, it picked in Casino Royale isn't a hole. That tells you something about the quality of the film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there, there are bigger plot holes in, in minor films. But this is kind of, it's, it's quite tight, pretty much. It's almost as if they fought it through. <gasps> you don't say. Yeah, See that idea that twisted on that kind of like a Clever, little catchphrase of ours? Yeah. Yep. I think good, not wanked off. Um, I just think that, yeah, they did. They thought it through. And this is a bittersweet film for me now because we've had three films that follow it and nothing gets near it. And I do honestly think there's a very good chance and a very good likelihood that we've seen the best Bond film of our lifetime now. And that's not to say we won't get Bond films we enjoy, but you're not going to top this, I don't think. Well, you never know. Like at the moment, there's a bit of a... In the media, obviously, this is a good day of the podcast, but there's a bit of a rumour that Craig may not return. But we'll, we'll see what happens when Eon gives the official nod to that one. But um, So you never know. We could have another actor come along and it'll be like, oh, best one ever, you know. But I think, yeah, I'm pretty much, this is like the best one yeah, we've we, we have seen for a long, long time. Corbett's dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. But, yeah, an absolute masterpiece. I, I love it. And uh, it's a, it's a film that, I, I've, I'm all the way through this series. We've just approached these podcasts as they come through. We don't feel any pressure on them. We just record them and have a laugh, and they're fine. When we got to Majesties, I felt a touch of pressure because it's my favourite film in the series. And I, I, you've got one shot. I mean, we could always re-record, but in terms of putting a show out on it, 
we've got one shot to do a fi- to do my favourite Bond film justice, and the only other time I felt that was tonight. Casino Royale is one I want to get right and explain why it's so great. And um, Majesty's is a bit of a Bond Marmite movie. I mean, a lot of people hate it, but a lot of like this and and both Casino and Majesty's are well fan favourites um, as as far as I as I understand it goes anyway. And it's like we have to do them justice. And but it's another it's another one that all three of us love universally. Um, so you know we can't really not really a bad word to say about it. But I think I think we have to do justice tonight. I think. I think if you go back and listen to the Majesty's episodes, which all three of us named as our favourite when we were doing that last week, yeah. it's got less jokes in it. It's got less messing around. It's got funny bits in it, and tonight do as well. Tonight has as well. But well, it did have like you know the back of a car. Yeah, but it, it is it is truly about telling you got telling you as a listener how much we love this film. Why we think this film is so special, and it, it, it's far less about doing jokes. And um, apart from it, hungry, hungry hippos. Yeah, hungry, hungry hippos. So does that so does that mean uh, next week's going to be like diamonds? No, no. I think Quantum of Solace. Uh, I'll have a lot to say about it when we get there. It's it's not as bad as diamonds. No, I mean to it's, it's I'm, incompetently I'm gonna, shot and edited. Yeah. But um, I'm going to be defending Quantum anyway. So I think, I, think I will a bit, but it'll be it'll be a very mixed. It's a good movie, it. but it's not an amazing Bond movie. You have to really look for those ingredients. No, but the, the, the problem I have is like it gets criticised a lot for being terrible, and I, you know, it's like when, you, when it's kind of mentioned, it's like, oh god, that was just awful. You know, you know, when you refer back to it from like, it's like, an awful it? big screen experience. You know, it's... and it's just like, well, it, you no, know, it's it's not bad. It actually, it's pretty good in places. It's a decent you know, action it's, movie. Yeah. yeah. If you, if, you can't, if you kind of watch it through a lens of rather than like a Bond movie, like a I would recommend watching it. I know it. Can, I know it can devalue Casino almost by association, but I would recommend watching it right after Casino Royale. Well, this and, is what I did today, and I think I've come out with it. Come out of it with a renewed appreciation. I and think. I think, but but what makes that a difficult call is more than most films in the series. Casino Royale really benefits from getting your full attention, not playing with your phone, not taking phone calls, not doing anything else really concentrating and if you can stick it for the well for over four hours mm-hmm. if you can do that and really concentrate for four hours back to back you'll get a lot more out of quantum of solace i'd suggest mm. i mean we'll talk more about quantum next week obviously you know we'll, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll delve into it i might even watch it again but um yeah i i, I, do, I, I do kind of like tend to stick up for that film um I may even say something controversial and say it's probably <gasps> better than the uh but <laughs> Ah, well, I won't say that. So, if you want to hear some insanity, <laughs> it's I do think it's a very pretty film. I think it looks great. I think Craig looks great in it, and I think it sounds great. I think it's got quite a nice score. There are things I like about it, but it's incompetently edited. It's it's written a bit odd, and there are you can drive co- coaching horses through it actually. But yeah. if you could over the it's time is time is being quite kind to it. I look, I I think I like it just as it's a continuation of the of this bond that we have just seen and that and i wanted more of that even though i thought okay this is a lesser film but i'm fine i want to see what he does next you know obviously next one will probably be better okay you know and i just feel and i kind of have contend for skyfall and spectre because it's step away from that it's like oh what you had one great one and one bad one because you have one bad one you kind of like feel like you have to move away from that completely it's like no it's, it's it's fixable you know it's you know, just make a better film. You know, I do wish they'd stuck with Quantum. If Quantum then wants to morph into Spectre, but 
uh, I think what, I've, what I have to do with Casino Royale and with Quantum of Solace is forget the very clumsy tie-ins from Spectre. Just forget it. Just, just enjoy this film for what it is. Enjoy Quantum of Solace for what it is. Um, the Craig run overall has been pretty good. I'll be fairly kind to, to Skyfall. Quantum's not as bad as its press, nor is Spectre, actually. And, um, but, yeah, we, we have passed the second and last masterpiece in this series. Mm. It's downhill from now, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that. We've got Skyfall to come yet. Yeah, I'll be yeah. kind of yeah, Skyfall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's downhill for now. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll be nice on Skyfall. I'll be nice on Skyfall. Alright. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I won't piss, I won't piss fans off. It's fine. They <laughs> <laughs> um, may disagree with us. They may agree with us. Uh, Octopus is still the one that everyone's seething over. <laughs> we we may... Yeah, we well, you know, fans, if you, you know... If you want to request us to... Go back and do Octopussy. <laughs> Watch as Dave enjoys it again, this time with a legal blood alcohol limit. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, so uh, where social can we... Social media. Yeah, so it's social media time. Um, David. What are my fun facts? Oh, <laughs> shit. Hang on a minute. Fun facts. <laughs> Oh, I've just watched a masterpiece, talked about it for two hours plus, and we get fun facts, Chris. I can barely contain my excitement. I haven't. <laughs> I've just wet myself. <laughs> okay, Becca, what's your Becca, fun? What's your <laughs> I'm not going to bother now. Oh, come on, you big tease. Come on. Get my laundry bill then. <laughs> That's not a reason not to do them. Becca, fun facts. No. Come on, you know the listeners would be disappointed now, so I come know. on. <laughs> We've got listeners out there at this point in the show that have got their lads in their hands <laughs> ready, <laughs> ready to hear some fun facts. And frankly, they're going to go limp if you don't sort it out quickly. <laughs> Okay, well. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Becca. No pressure. Yeah. Tom, I apologise if you're losing your erection, mate. It's it's coming <laughs> literally. <laughs> we were talking earlier about the stunt, which is a world record. Um, three DBSs we used for that for that stunt, which is pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, before Spectre, we're going to count down from five. No time before. Um, yeah, until Spectre came along, this is like the second or the longest Bond movie. I always think it's interesting how you had the longest followed by the shortest. Um. And obviously the Bond, when he orders the vodka martini, that was taken directly from the book. Um, no naked ladies in the... Wait, wait so which, was that, which, which one was taken from the book? When he says, I don't give a damn. Oh, no, when he does, um, he gives the order from... Uh, the you know, Vesper, how, how the, the martini. Vesper martini, where he says, no weight, two measures of Gordon's, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, orange slices of lemon peel, it's things it. like that. So. It's, I, I reckon there's been plenty of Bond fans who have actually made notes and drank that. Yeah. But it's available on the internet, you know. Do you expect us to talk? I feel sorry for people who are more identified as do you expect us to talk listeners. They're trying to gulp down fucking egg whites and sardine juice. <laughs> Whilst <laughs> pure, pure Bond fans are drinking something that actually doesn't make you vomit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually like the, the dry martini. I've, I've had it. And it's, I, I, I don't like it. Yeah, I've never had a dry martini. Or I think it's it's quite of... bitter. I prefer like... Um, you just get to the bar and... Wimp out and ask for a dry wine spritz. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I go, I go for the, is that like the Dorsey the sweet kind? I can't. I don't like any kind of dry drinks, like dry wine. I'm like, what's the point? Um, anyway, my, my final fact is is the first film to be based on a famous novel since Moonraker. So that's my five fun facts, people. That's fun, folks. <laughs> I've got five more coming up for Quantum next time. Yeah, and actually, because it's such a short film, that that's a higher density of facts. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's a fact, like, just over every 20 minutes or so, I'd have that's thought. That's a fact, Jack. That's a, that should be the name of it. It's a, that, it's a that's fact, a fact, Jack. It's a fact every 21 minutes. It's, you know, it's just a shame that none of us call Jack. Otherwise, that, no. would, that would just have be, been, like... Mm. I think that's a line from the original uh, Ninja Turtles opening sequence. That's a fact, Jack. You only no. quote the best, don't you? That's the Bond Turtles crossover you never expected to happen. Yeah, oh, don't that, that AFI, a hundred great quotes. <laughs> <laughs> just, it just beat Casablanca in the second place. I'm pretty sure Bond James Bond was on this at some point. Yeah. Top ten in there, at least. The Blazonby version. <laughs> My name's Bond! <laughs> James Bond! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fight you in a pretty church! That was at number four. You know, oh, to be fair, old George, I don't think he actually quite says it like that. Hello, no. my name's what, Bond. You're suggesting I might be exaggerating. <laughs> Possibly. Mm. All right. Uh, anyway, where can you find us on social media? Uh, you can find me at Cinematrocks on Twitter, and you can find uh, these podcasts uh, that I do, uh, as well as this one, uh, at uh, cinematrocks.co.uk. You can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976. You can find me at RV Movies, which I still haven't changed my name, so if you've got any success, um, suggestions... Let me know. That, that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> but anyway, you can find us on Twitter at expect us to talk on Facebook.com slash expect us to talk, or you can drop us a lovely email expect us to talk at gmail.com, and we're also on YouTube expect us to talk. Amazingly enough. Yeah, why, why don't you throw it out on Twitter that say like what what name should I get? And then... Yeah, I might do. I'm not changing the show's time. name. I'm quite happy to shorten it to you know expect us to talk colloquially, but I'm not. Yeah, you know, I'm not changing our name. No, oh, no, 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 in terms of Becca's name on Twitter. What are you talking about? Yeah, why does yeah, this come about, up about yeah. every four shows? <laughs> I don't it's think... like, she'll either change it or she won't. We're making such a meal of it. <laughs> I just I just forget, I just don't have the time. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a time-consuming process. I'll tell you what, I added on Twitter the other day, I added a question mark to our name. It took Ooh, me seven or eight hours. That confused oh, everybody. I was exhausted. <laughs> No, I, don't, I don't tweet as much as I used to, so it doesn't really make a dent. So. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, you, you do tweet, but under the do you expect to talk? Yeah, I probably tweet there more than I do underneath yeah. my own handle. So. All, the, all that foul language and. I know. <laughs> oh, statement about Daniel Craig the other day—that was fucked, <gasps> Becca. I can't believe that you told the Sun, the Mail, and the Express to fuck off. You said the Mail was read by bigoted. What was it? Racist fuckwits. Jesus. Now, Dave, I think we all know who was behind that. Uh, Lord Rothermere. <laughs> oh. <sighs> anyway. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, uh, seeing as Dave has just finished off. Um... <laughs> Sadly, it is all downhill from here. As next week we review Question of Sport, Quantum of Qualis. No, Quantum of Solace. Good night, folks. Night. Bye. <laughs>